Welcome to Week in Horror. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. The podcast that deep dives all the films you love. Gotta be fucking kidding. The week they dropped in horror history. We all go a little mad sometimes. With your horror hosts. JL. When a shirtless M. Elliot with no mustache takes out a, an alligator with a uh, with an oar, that's the kind of movie I'm looking for. Eugene. And we're just casually just like, yeah, so that's probably the best way to go, light someone on fire with gasoline. Alex. It would not be an original lineup if I didn't have fucking technical <laughs> Johnny O. Now, it's not an Amityville. Or where is this? Amityville. And Aaron. They, they got manure to work with and nothing very from it. <laughs> News, trailers, trivia, special guests, and more. You're going to need a bigger boat. Live show every Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central at YouTube.com slash Week in Horror. Welcome to prime time, bitch! And wherever you listen to podcasts. One by one, we will take you. Week in Horror. <laughs> Stay scared. <laughs> welcome, welcome, horror fans. It's Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central Time. And that means it's time for another episode of the Week in Horror Podcast. The only podcast with one-stop shopping. Everything you need, right at your fingertips. And if you, dear, dear horror fanatic, are listening to us at the top of the week, remember, we do this live every Wednesday and screw it up at the same time. Right here on YouTube. Come hang out and see all of the stuff the editor doesn't want you to see. This week we're covering select horror films released September 3rd through September 9th. Thank you all so much for joining us. I'm Alex and with me tonight are JL and Eugene. The OG3. Good What's evening up? everyone. What's up everybody? Yes. What's the, OG, the, the, the original, the, 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 what was it? The, the Holy Trinity is here. <laughs> the Unholy Trinity. <laughs> the unholy trinity we are is is in the house and it, you uh, saw me it, you saw me skip there for a second when i looked back i just something crashed behind me and there's there's nobody in here like i'm alone i can't see anything knocked over it freaked me the fuck <laughs> out well it is, it is always it's a blast to have you back alex i know things have been busy and i'm glad you're able to to come out for a show and uh it was a valiant effort at uh the last uh, you know the last deal but nonetheless well i don't want to spoil anything for upcoming we have upcoming content we don't want to spoil that for people but uh it's nice to finally have you back on a show it's always fun because you never know what's going to happen when the original trio gets together because it's just <laughs> it's hard because we communicate we communicate all the time you know via you know our messengers mm -hmm. or whatever we're talking all the time and so like i can see what's going on but you know Usually Wednesday night, we got four kids here. I'm at work. I generally sitting in traffic on 114 for an hour and 45 minutes trying to get home at, you know, a decent hour. So 7 p.m. is kind of hard. that shit. Oh, it's terrible, man. And it's, I, I, live in, I live in far north Fort Worth, and I commute to Dallas every day. And so it's like, you know, like. Oh, that's uh, a long nuts. drive. So just, yeah, just trying to get home at a reasonable hour and jump on, you know. So it's, it's good. I I got to make the time, and so I got to carve it out of this this week. So I was like, "Screw this! I'm I'm coming in hot this week." So I I I, I try to get back to Dallas when when I can, and I've been able to come back a few occasions. And a couple of times, 
I've been back and have you know experienced traffic again. Like yeah, I get because I, I, it's been years since I've lived there, so I don't have to deal with six thirty five, thirty five, one fourteen, George Bush. Those are all the roads any, I drive every day. Any of that, but I don't have to deal with any of that bullshit. I remember, I remember being on being on employee relief. And you get oh, you yeah. get very familiar with all that bullshit, and so uh-huh. and then like I remember it'd been like almost a year since I'd been back to Dallas. I finally get to come back. I get to go back to Dallas, and I was like, "Fuck!" Because none of that shit exists where <laughs> I live. Everywhere I live, it's just either two lane blacktop, two lane blacktop with no fucking shoulders, or or you know just like a standard like four lane two and one way two, and that's it. That's all I've got. And even 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 seventy five is really is like two lane until it finally, you know, gets past or gets deeper into the state. And then finally it opens up to an actual highway. So right. I don't have to, I, it's all country driving for me nowadays. Yeah, and it must be nice. I have, I, I got into, I got into fucking like, I got into fucking um, 121 and was like, holy shit, I don't recall. I forgot, I forgot, I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the instincts kick in because the minute people start, you start, start getting around Dallas drivers again, you're just like, Oh yeah, I remember how to do this. Fuck you, motherfucker! Your foot instinctively hits the we floor, punching you, doing ninety-five again. miles an hour, and you don't give a fuck about who's in front of, behind, or on the sides of you. It's it's terrible. Uh, I've, yes, seriously, but, yeah. and on a dark note, like I've seen, I, I couldn't even tell you probably probably five or six fatalities in the last couple of months, and they're always oh. like, you know, somebody running into the back of a semi. I'm like, man, it's a gigantic truck. Please don't run into the back of the truck. When you're driving, please don't be texting. Just just drive. Just focus. Yeah. Just fucking. But but it's It's Texas. It's Texas. Especially like the tollway, especially the tollway, like, you know, after five o'clock. It's fucking death race. That's what it is. It's points all over the place. Just no turn signals, (laughs) no speed limits. The cops even just fuck off. They're like, nah, dude, we're not dealing with it. They just leave. They're like, no. Not and and remember this is And everybody has a gun. And everybody has a gun. This is Texas. The smaller and more woke your vehicle is, the more points you're worth. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to get a little political there, but nonetheless, it's always awesome to have Alex here. It's always always awesome to have the original trio here. We have an excellent, excellent fucking show tonight. Um, first and foremost, before we get started, because we got a bunch of stuff we want to talk about, and cool thing that I want to show y'all, which is really really neat. Let's pull up that banner. There is our amazing Patreon banner. All of those incredible people to help to make this show possible. We love you all so very very much. Thank you for all of your support. We have so many cool things coming in season five, and like big, we have big changes coming to the show. We have big changes coming to the show. We have all kinds of cool stuff to unveil. It's going to be an absolute fucking blast. I can't wait to get there. But we are not there yet. So before we dive into tonight's selections, let's see who we've got in the live chat tonight. And I'll try to make this quick. See a bunch of people in there. Travis Brown is here. He was first as Evening Boils and Creeps. Guess I am first tonight. You were first, Travis. Thank you very very much. Casey Cooper is here. Good to see you, Casey Cooper, as well as Sherry Tilly. So good to see y'all. Raven Darkstar is here. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for being here tonight, hon. Always good to see you. Who else we got in the house tonight? We've got Sarcasms here. It says it's time, fellow babies. Yes, it is. It is time for an excellent show. Joshua Lee is here. Another one of our amazing patrons. Good to see you, Joshua Lee. Says, hey, everyone. Good to see you, Joshua. We missed you at the last bloodbath debate, but I uh, appreciate you being here tonight. Thank you so much. And we got Operation Free World is here. It says, let's do this. Absolutely. Thank you uh, for being here, Operation Free World. Appreciate seeing you. Angel Rivera as well says, what up, what up? Good to see you, Angel Rivera. And I see, who else do we have? I saw him. I know I saw him. Where did they go? Where did they go? Charlie Welch, the only man on the internet you never make a bet with. Good to see you, Welch. He says, folks, and JL. Appreciate that, bud. And Michelle with (laughs) one L says, I'm here. Good to see you, Michelle. Thanks so much for hanging out tonight. 
Juggernaut Jared Reeds is what's crackalacking. The show is what's crackalacking, my good friend. The original trio is in the house. Good to see you, Juggernaut. Thanks so much for being here. NANA, one of our longest patrons. Good to see you, NANA. Just hello, everyone. Always good to see you, bud. Out for Blood 832 is here. Good to see you. Thanks so much for being here tonight. And I see who else did I see? I saw someone else. I don't want to miss him. Ivy Gentry says, I made it. It's been a minute, hey. Ivory. So good to see you. <laughs> Thanks so much for being here. Gosh, Peckfire Free as well. World. Someone I haven't met yet. Sup, Alex? What's up, Operation Free World? It's How a, you doing? It's a, well, there's actually been a, a bunch of new people here since you've been here. It's been a second since you've been here. Oh, did he freeze? <laughs> what a timing yeah. on that freeze. That or he's stoned. Nonetheless, Gosh of Eckfire is here. Good to see you, Gosh of Eckfire. Good, good evening, you bunch of heathens. You rock. Nemo813 says, wow, JL has paved roads where he lives. Not all of them. Most of them, but not all of them. Not that far rural, but I am pretty rural. But we do have some paved roads. And good to see you, Nemo813. Nemo, Nemo so much, thanks so much for being here tonight. And let's see. Oh, and thank you very much, Michelle. Yes, smash that like button. We do appreciate that. That helps. Or if you don't like, just smash the dislike button. Either one helps the you know helps the algorithm. So we do appreciate it. Who else? Aaron Reese says, I think the new guy is cooler. Well, then the new guy ought to show up some. Oh, savage. <laughs> <laughs> I totally take the wind out of my own sails if I call my own comment savage. But we love you, Aaron. We appreciate it. We know you're uh, getting stuff handled over at there at the house. So, But we know we're going to get you back on another episode here pretty soon. Uh, let me see who else we have here in the chat. Sir, see, did I say sarcasm? I think I saw sarcasm earlier. I did. Casey Cooper, good to see you. Uh, I think that's it. I think I got everybody. I think I got everybody who's in there. So if somebody pops up and I missed you, I apologize. But it's so good to see everybody here in the chat. You all rock. We got Aaron, uh, Aaron hanging out there, uh, keeping it uh, or holding down the live chat while we wait for Alex to get back. But nonetheless. Oh, so Rooster's taking the mannequin challenge. Yeah, he, he was taking the mannequin challenge. I'm no, I have no doubt he'll be back soon. Ah, but I also see that the amazing and generous NANA has taken it upon himself to gift the not five, six, seven, seven Week in Horror channel memberships. Because yes, we got monetized here at YouTube. And Woo! you can get channel memberships you can support the show here or or over at our patreon but you can support it here by becoming a channel member get access to all of the cool emojis that i am developing i'm going to have those all out so people can use them and of course uh <laughs> i just saw what raven said and of course the channel badge so yes you can support the show right here with channel memberships raven darkster says no air horn lol well, it, it's it. That's just, that's I, what I can't it, that's do what it it's now. like now. <laughs> yeah, it's just like all silence. It's just yeah, all it's silent just... now. Hopefully, Alex will be back shortly. But we have a couple of things that we want to talk about really, really quick. So, first and foremost, I'm kind of embarrassed because I fell for this. So it came out. It came out over the news that there was going to be a live action version of Nightmare Before Christmas, and Johnny Depp was set to star. I didn't even hear anything about it. Right. And so I had heard about this and immediately like, like some ridiculous fanboy jumped on the bandwagon and was like, fuck yes. I want to see this so bad. It turns out it was, it was satire. It was not true. This has not been confirmed. It's not actually going to happen, but I just had to bring it up because I know a lot of people out there heard about it. See juggernaut Jared Reed said, yeah, Reed said it's satire. Yep. It, it, I found out it was satire after the fact. And it was kind of like, Oh, 
but it just goes to show how much we love Johnny Depp or how much I love Johnny Depp and how much I love uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. So, but yeah, I felt I fell for that. But yeah, it was unfortunate that I, I, for, unfortunate. Maybe some people think it's fortunate because maybe Nightmare Nightmare Before Christmas shouldn't be touched. But uh, what do you think? Excited for something like that or no? Absolutely not. Don't touch. No. No. Uh, no. I I can't. I'm trying to think of a film that I saw that was animated that was like. Oh man, it was so much better live action. I just no. <laughs> I, I just because the the part about the nightmare on Elm Street is like the character design. Mm-hmm. Like that's it's still motion. Um, the way it looks, the way it feels, the way they interact with their environment. It's that's this whole thing. So if you take a live action version of it, and let's say you take a live action. And then you copy it and you make Johnny Depp look like Jack, right? That would be so weird. Like, okay, so uh, you already said, that, would, that would be you some wacky CGI. <laughs> like you legitimate if there you have it completely. So there's literally no point to do it unless you redo the entire film. Like if you right. just redid it and like they're just people now. But if they're just people now, then you doesn't sell the story because it's supposed to be the Halloween world. And that's what they're creatures of Halloween. So I just, I don't know how you would be able to pull that off. Yeah, I'm not seeing it myself either. I I don't know how they would do it. It just, all of a sudden, I was just like, ah, Johnny Depp bandwagon. I have to be on the Johnny Depp bandwagon for everything. Because he deserves it after going through the bullshit that he went through. And of course, not being able to, I I don't even know if if, if a Pirates of the Caribbean 6 is going to happen. But I love Johnny Depp. I love everything that he's done. Um, some more than others. Like I, you know, I wasn't a terrible fan of like Lone Ranger, but you know, I do love Johnny Depp. I love his contributions to every genre that he works in. Um, and I was kind of like a oh, fanboy, and then I realized, oh, I got taken in. I got taken in. But I see. I would like to see a little bit more Johnny Depp away from Tim Burton. Like, okay. Okay. I that's what I like to see because Johnny Depp has done obviously a large catalog of great movies. Um, but he's kind of like that Tim Burton kind of go to it's like him and uh, Helen Bowen McCarter, even though they're not married, she's still in his movies. Right. I like Helen Bowen Carter's her best roles are not Tim Burton roles. Like for example, fight club. Oh yeah. She was excellent in that. Did you freeze too? Yeah. So I would, I would like to see, oh, okay. I like Johnny Depp, but I like to see him like go, go away. From... <laughs> Were you holding your breath? You're like, he's about to slam Johnny Depp right now. I'm about to end the stream right now. <laughs> See, he's not even denying it. He's like, he's like, ha, 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 I was. <laughs> yeah. Let's see, Ivy Gidget says, I love Johnny Depp, but I'm not into cartoons. I don't know if I want a live action. I'm celebrating that they have a band in the L.A. Snow White with uh, uh, the, oh, L.A. Snow White with no dwarves. I get that. Yeah. So I don't know. As, uh, Johnny Depp has done some really, really fantastic stuff. And, and Travis Brown says, don't forget what happened with Johnny Depp and Fantastic Beasts. Johnny Depp got the short end of the fucking stick, and I will die on that hill, you know, all the live long day. I will die on that hill to the day I die. And he got the short end of the stick. He got railroaded, and hopefully the his career obviously is not over. And hopefully he will get some momentum going, you know, going back. Not, not like he really, really needs it. But uh, I know that he's going to continue working, and hopefully we will get to see him in some really, really big stuff because he, the dude is phenomenal. He's phenomenally he's an amazing person, so I just got to say that. I mean, at this point with Johnny Depp, right, like we know Johnny Depp's been, like, exonerated. So that's that. And already Netflix already has a documentary, Depp versus Heard. So you got stuff right there. Uh, honestly, take a little step back. 
maybe do some smaller independent stuff. You already have the SAG strike going on right now. Right. So you can do some a couple small indie stuff and then come back on a different note. I mean, that's what Robert Downey Jr. did. And that's what Robert Patterson did after Twilight. Did some small yeah. stuff, kind of remarket himself. And now he's come back and he's Batman. So yeah. like oh, it did you mention Dan, Daniel, Daniel Radcliffe did that as well? Yeah, Daniel Radcliffe, yeah, Daniel Radcliffe, Daniel Radcliffe yeah. and uh, Emma Watson. Yeah, like this both dude. of them were great at shedding off like a previous image. Right. Let's see. I and I see we got some new people in here. I see wrote it. No last name is here. Gabba Gabba to you, sir. Says there was a petition to digitally replace Amber Heard with Johnny Depp and Aquaman. That would have been fucking amazing. <laughs> that would have been awesome. <laughs> I would pay multiple times to go and see that movie. It made the sex scene like really awkward now. So. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that, that would be fucking great. Sir Kasdan says, I liked Helena in, in Merlin. She was amazing. Yes, she was amazing. She's amazing virtually everything that she does. Uh, let me see what else we got here. I did see, uh, and the George said, yes, says, hey, sexy party people. Good to see you, George. Thanks so much for being here. Uh, it's been uh, always an awesome, always a pleasure to see you here in the live chat. But, and Cindy Johnson is here. Good to see you, Cindy. Says, evening, Jail and Eugene. Hopefully, uh, there he is. Alex is back. Hey! I, I swear to God, I said, a, I said, no, I'm not even going to say it again because it's going to shut my computer down. <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah. If you listen to the intro, you'll understand what just happened there. Yeah, Operation Free World, I like that. Just it, don't even, just do a, just do, just deep fake him. Deep fake <laughs> Johnny Depp on Amber Heard's body and the movie becomes infinitely better. I popped it in, gets- I popped in right when you're like, replace Johnny, or Amber Heard with Johnny Depp on Aquaman. I was like, okay, I like where this is going. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, but uh, but definitely let us know down in the comments below what you think, you know, if this were actually happening, because apparently I fell for it. I, I jumped on the bad wa- bandwagon. But let us know what you think. Should there be a live action version of Nightmare Before Christmas, maybe starring Johnny Depp? Maybe not. If you were down for that, let us know. If not, definitely let us know. Love to hear what all of you think out there in uh, in Internet land. Uh, Joshua Lee says, speaking of, usually uh, adapting anime to live action doesn't work. True, true, and we're gonna find out with the uh, with the One Piece adaptation that's coming to Netflix. Oh my which god! I, if they fuck it up. I'm gonna be. I don't know. I mean, we saw what happened with Avatar, because there was like the M Night M Night Shyamalan Ding Dong Avatar, which just spit in the face <laughs> of everything that came before it, and then <laughs> and then there was supposed to be a Netflix Avatar, and then that one got dropped for some reason. We have no idea why. Aaron it- Reese is. Oh, go ahead. because the thing is, it doesn't transition well. They're, like anime, anime and animation is a whole different medium and storytelling technique than live action. It's also why video game and video game movies don't mix very well. Uh, you have an exception here and there, but most video Doom. game. That's that's what, for example, Doom, Doom is fucking classic, man. No, <laughs> no, that movie's terrible. The original Super Mario Brothers. Who? Oh, that was that was. Oh trash. my god, on VHS that you would find in somebody's house under their yeah. fucking bed, like dude, you're... fucking fucking. You forgetting you forgetting the greatest of all, Double Dragon. <laughs> no, <laughs> the Double Dragon Nobody even remembers Double my Dragon. Mind. Get out of here. <laughs> no, the, double the Dragon answer is the original Mortal Kombat from 1995. Okay, but that's that's a great movie. That is a fantastic movie. Listen, the fire comes up and the theme song comes in, and I was like ten years old, and I was like, "This is everything I ever wanted." 
And it's oh, great. It's like, even though, it, even though the effects in that movie have not aged well, I still enjoy going back and watching that because I used to, because I remember watching it in the theater and be like, Reptile looks so cool. And now it looks like fucking, like, it's like, this is so fucking terrible. But it was awesome back then. It was awesome in the 90s. Yeah, it, it worked but back then. then. <laughs> Aaron Reese said, Jail hoped too hard and he changed reality. I actually killed it by hoping for it too bad. And I was like, I want it so bad. He's like, nope, nope. Yeah, soundtrack to Mortal Kombat. Excellent shit. That is all a good right. Soundtrack. Uh, what was it? So under so uh, I'm not I'm not reading that Aaron Race. That's yeah. <laughs> Aaron, Aaron, I'm not reading that. That's gross. Uh, Bob Hoskins was a legend. Oh man, yes, I like Doom is a guilty pleasure. I need soldiers. I don't need anybody <laughs> else but soldiers. Tell me, Eugene, did your uh, did your sergeant ever speak to you like that? <laughs> Mutinous insurrection is punishable by death. No one talks in the military <laughs> like that. No one. I'm fucking great. That's way too light. You need to you need to fucking darken that up a little bit. <laughs> oh, this shit was fucking awesome. Oh, I fucking love the rock in that movie. He's just so over the top. It was just so brilliant. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Denova28. Good to see you, bud. Says, I love Doom. Fight me. (laughs) 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 Fucking amazing. All right. So this next thing is coming up. It's very, very interesting. I recently just saw it, and we want to, I want to show it to everybody. And this was a new trailer that just dropped because, and the reason I want to show everybody is because it reunites Dan Aykroyd and Chevy Chase (laughs) in, in, an R.L. Stein movie. So, if you haven't heard of this, if you haven't heard of this, this is the trailer for the upcoming Zombie Town, which releases September 1st on Netflix. So check this out. Here is the trailer for Zombie Town. Cute the <laughs> Okay, that looks cute as fuck. I, 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 I like, I, I love the Fear Street series. I love Fear Street. And I like, I love R.L. Stein stuff. I love Goosebumps. I love the series. Love the book. I grew up reading the books. And I, I, I just looks adorable as fuck to me. And I think it'll, it'll be, I think it'll be seriously entertaining. Can we just talk about how R.L. Stein is like low key, probably the, he's taken the transition between Goosebumps and now I'm talking timeline. So like, when we were kids, he crafted things for us as we were kids, and now he's crafting things for our kids. He he's taken the what am I trying to say? The generational gap and filled it very elegantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything that he's kind of come out with has been right on par. It's all still his stuff, but it's uh, modernized in a way that it's not terrible. He 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 aged gracefully. His work aged gracefully for sure. I think it's, yeah, it's timeless, timeless stuff. I, I mean, the, the books hold up to you know hold up today, and people oh, my still kids are enjoy. reading them now. You know how wild it is to have yep. kids reading Goosebumps? Like it's like, hold on, let me let me snuggle in real quick. We'll we'll read this together. Yeah, that's. Classic. I mean, the thing is, the movie looks really fun. It reminds me uh, with a Boy Scouts uh, guide to the zombie apocalypse. Yes, yeah. like yeah. <laughs> it's just funny. That's all it is. It's just fun. It's not meant to be serious, or it's not the meant. It's not meant to have this overall theme. It's something that you can like showcase like your kids and just like just laugh. Yeah. 
Oh, let's see. Sir Chasm says, Akron has lost his damn mind. He is so far down the rabbit hole that even the rabbit is going, you're too deep, Dan. <laughs> okay, <laughs> true. Dan Aykroyd is a little bit on the crazy side, but at least he can still deliver. He, he delivered in the late, in the, uh, the, the, the Ghostbuster sequel. I fucking loved it. So, uh, if, but yeah. If I, anybody, and, if anybody takes that clip of JL saying what he just said what? about Dan Aykroyd and Dan Aykroyd you know, delivers. No, 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 you just you just read that. Oh, there was a, a quote that you said, and well, somebody's going to need to clip that and use it. What? No, you read the comment. At the end of the comment, there was a quote. I want somebody to clip that oh, voice you're clip. Too, you're, you're too deep, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to need you to make a video for it. Bear, that's cute. Absolutely. Sherry Tilly says, my kids love the Goosebump books. Uh, maybe I can get them over here to watch this with me. Awesome, awesome. Sally Skellington is here. Good to see you, Sally. Thanks so much for Hi, being Sally. here tonight. And there's Elizabeth S. as well, who is officially has been a member of the Army of the Dead for one month. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. We appreciate that. One support. of us. Yes. One, one of us. One of us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's see. A uh, zombie version of a uh, zombie version of Last Action Hero. I like. Yes, pretty much a zombie version of the Last Action Hero. Absolutely. Thank you. That's Barbara initially Hodge. what I thought. It was like the projector comes. Out. I was like, oh, Last Action Hero. Yeah. And you know what? <laughs> I'm okay with it. And Annie says, this looks terrible. I have to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> Michelle with one L says, oh yeah, horrible. I can't wait to watch it. Hell yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm definitely going to check it out as well. It sounds like everybody is looking forward to this, a non-bloody zombie movie. Because it sounds like zombies, like they suck your souls. So they just like grab you. Like very, I would say very, um, or I'd say akin to the, uh, to the alien, to the alien bad guys in, uh, at World's End. Uh, the Simon Pegg, Nick Frost uh, vehicle. So let me see who else we got here. Uh, well, it's a, we it's got, a great we got Paracord. We got Paracord Princess came in here that said, "Have we started discussing the movies yet?" Um, we no, have, we, have we haven't. We have no, not. We have not. We're about twenty-seven minutes into this live stream. This is a horror movie podcast. Why don't we go ahead and talk about some horror movies? <laughs> What do we have up first? Yes. Yeah. Well, hang on. Give, give two fucking seconds. So Sir Cass hey, says yes. Set it up. Sir Chasm says clipped. Yes, they said, I knew somebody was probably going to clip that. You're in too deep, Dan. <laughs> and there's HJ. And you got Jasper three takes now. Jasper is here. Good to see you, Jasper. Thanks so much for being here, bud. Uh, appreciate it. Oh, Rodell Sane brought up Life Force. Absolutely. You know, Life Force. That was uh, Anthony Hopkins, Emilio Estevez with Brain Lightning. You can't just, you just can't beat that. You can't, you can't at all. All right. So now, yes, go ahead, Alex. Kick us off. I already did the fucking thing. Eugene, <laughs> what do we do first? <laughs> Let us All know right. down in the comments below if you wanted, if you're looking forward to the new Zombie Town coming out on Netflix. I'd like to hear if you're excited about it or not. If you love R.L. Stein, let us know down in the comments. Take it away. All right, first again. up, we have Contracted Phase 2, which was released September 4th, 2015. Roll it. <laughs> All right. Contracted Phase 2. Shit. I caught it again. <laughs> the second time we yep. have con we have contracted phase two directed by josh forbes sorry matt mincer marina Polker, and morgan peter brown and basically what we have is this is the direct sequel to contracted the first one as they try to track down where the disease came from and and i was i uh, shit gets a little real. I, I would say that. Say I would say shit, I would, I would say yeah. shit gets gets icky. It yeah, gets like, really, yeah, really it's icky. <laughs> <laughs> it's just gooey at that point. 
It's a good Sally's word for it. Sally's Skeleton brought up Get Vaccinated the, 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 the end of the trailer, <laughs> which is so apropos. It really is at this point. Um, yeah. Uh, like, holy fuck, dude. Okay, so for anybody not familiar with the Contracted series, like like, like the, the first Contracted film, um, I found it to be really, really intriguing. It was very much akin to the movie Thanatomorphose, where it's essentially the internalized version of that word, uh, what would this girl is unfortunately date raped and is infected with the zombie virus. And so she starts decomposing from the inside out as she's like, as she's slowly dying and turning into the undead. And then the movie ends with her death. And the second film picks up immediately at that. She attacks her mom. She gets shot by the police and she spreads the zombie virus from there. And as it turns out that, you know, there's a greater, there's a bigger plot going on. The plot is that this, this terroristic dude who's trying to end the world and shit. The, the problem that I saw with this, while the zombie effects are quite brutal, and you know, there's a lot of really, really disgusting shit in this, what I found to be problematic uh, predominantly was that is that Forbes decided to go in the direction of ramping up the gore and the ick factor and all of this, the, the gooey, gory, gloppy, you know, decomposing nastiness, and sacrificed that, it was sacrificed plot for that. Because it essentially... We get this interesting start, like like the first couple of acts are, real, are actually pretty decent as this guy and this girl who are now infected and they're slowly decomposing, trying to figure out what the hell is going on before they themselves die. And we get like the really, really gross pus and, and you know, decomposition and, you know, oh, just and, and the failure of their bodies and shit. And then as we progress along the plot, slowly but surely it gets unveiled that it's this terrorist guy who's unleashing this virus upon the world because he wants to end everything. And it was so hackneyed and just kind of like tacked on as because, you know, like the police get involved and the, you know, and things are starting to blow up and it's looking like it's going to be really, really interesting. And then it's just this. And then it winds up and then it just concludes with like a fucking firefight in the police station, zombies everywhere. And then we find out that it hasn't been contained because the pregnant woman or the, the, the girl who was pregnant at the end, she's also infected because she ate the dip. And God, that was so fucking gross. It was disgusting. That was fucking nasty. There was a really, really just, just, you know, it's like, no, don't do that. Don't do that. But it's just, uh, yeah, like, no, no, no. Um, no. It, and you can do gore with a good story. I mean, like, even if it's like a cheesy story, like, fuck, dead alive. You want to use a good hyper gore movie that has, like, you know, they're focused on the the plot you can use right. that without getting out of fucking control like this one did i mean you look at like uh i know it's a tv series but black summer like super gory but also very deep storyline and you hit this and it's kind of like you, you lost me about halfway now it's getting kind of gross now my stomach just hurts and i really don't know what we're doing here see that that was the old that was ultimately the problem is because the first contracted was very very intriguing because very so i i always kind of likened it again it's, it's kind of like ginger snaps meets thanatomorphos where yeah. ostensibly you have this girl, this this kind of like this girl who's been raised very, very shut in. She's you know lived a very cloistered life. She's never really let loose. She is coming to terms with her own sexuality. She's not technically out of the closet, and but she's trying to uh, find who she is and, and determine her identity for herself instead of being ostensibly the expression of her mother's you know you know need to live through her vicariously. So she's she's still going through these phases trying to change. So she herself is going through massive internal change, but then, you know, as a result of, of the assault, of the sexual assault winds up becoming infected with the zombie virus and then in turn goes through that internal change as well. So it's like, you know, that's the expression of the film. And I found that to be really, really intriguing because as she could be slowly comes to terms with the fact that she is dying 
and there's nothing she can do about it, then her nature begins to come out and she's free to explore. So it's not just about a girl turning into a zombie, slowly turning into a zombie and finally finding the uh, the inner strength in order to be herself now that they're, now that you know there's essentially an expiration date on her. Now she's like, okay, I can do whatever I want. Then you know the whole kind of bucket list thing. I have no fears now. The problem uh, that that's intriguing storytelling. That's interesting because it allows for excellent character exploration and fantastic uh, two hand two hander moments where we can you know have people growing right there in front of us. And then it takes all of that fantastic premise and all that promise going into phase two where we now moved into more people being infected and then dealing with this and it becomes a standard hackneyed zombie. And then it starts out strong as it's a guy and a girl who are kind of together and who are best friends and really loved each other. And then they start decomposing together. And that, that sets the stage for like a relationship against the world, like us versus the world kind of thing. But then it just falls off in the third act and turns into a hackneyed zombie splatter flick, which you know just throws all of that excellent storytelling material out the window in favor of potentially possibly setting up a third film, which I think was just bad. I mean, you you could leave threads for a third film, but you don't need to sacrifice everything you've got just to make a gory, gloppy zombie flick. Zombie flick. No, you could have used half of this movie, made it into a real, the first half of this movie, made it into a really good story and then done a third phase where you kind of, you know, peter off like this one did pretty much right away. Um because it, it blows my mind because this was what 2015 the first one came out two years before that it worked people liked it and then they changed mm-hmm. so much of it that it was like okay what what happened you know you had the story there's there's plenty to go off of but it just kind of crapped out see this Not is an excellent point. oh yeah this is an excellent point operation free world brings up i love the symbolism of the orchid in the first film and that play because it plays throughout the entire thing. It plays throughout the entire film, especially yep. that you know, especially as it comes to the end, and, and she's allowed the flower to die as she's going into the competition, still thinking that you know, still trying to hold on to the last vestiges of of who she knows and who she was comfortable with. And then right. that you know, when when she realizes it's all falling apart, that's when essentially the shit really hits the fan. And no, unfortunately, to answer the question, Operation Free World, they did not bring that kind of symbolism back. <clears throat> they allowed they start with the symbolism predominantly being the relationship that is burgeoning between these two people who wind up infected with the zombie virus and how the two of them come together to try and, you know, find a solution and maybe even a cure, but even at one point a cure becomes out of the question because they're so like physically deteriorated, deteriorated and far gone that then it just becomes about them versus the world about them trying to basically stand up and be themselves in the face of, you know, what, what's, what's happening to them. And, you know, there were, there were some themes of self-acceptance and themes of, of, you know, finding the things that, you know, the, the things that bond us together, but all of that excellent setup in the first film just kind of goes out the window. We don't get any real internal, you know, internalization, just, you know, people running around freaking out. There were some decent moments, some good acting moments, like when they go to visit the drug dealer and they talk to him, there were some good moments there. And the, what really drives the film is the practical body horror effects because there was some seriously fucking nasty shit in this film. Almost unnecessarily nasty, like Raven Darkstar brings up, like unnecessary grossness. Um, <laughs> but the, like, the, the, while the, while the dip scene was the fucking gross and, you know, and like, he's like draining his back. That was disgusting. Oh, but yeah, dude, uh, yeah. And the, what gets me, what gets me was the, fu- the fucking contacts, man. Because it's, oh my uh, god, eyes! Why eyeballs? That was rough. It's always I eyes. Because it. it's disgusting <laughs> and it's it's terrifying. 
and there's always like a you know a symbolic meaning you know you take the the side away you take away but it's like fuck man so like you said this film used those those powerful practical effects to kind of i i think make up for what they were lacking in the story i feel like they knew that they were kind of lacking there so they pulled this in because like you said to bring it back the, the symbolism of the orchid that's that was amazing in that first film that a lot of people don't know you know you've got you've got an orchid and it's throughout different cultures that means different things you know it can mean you know fertility um it can mean innocence and purity and that 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 dying and so instead of symbolism in this one life life out of death the life the 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 new life out of death ostensibly exactly. is where that's yeah, exactly yeah and then it just stops there and it's the orchid it's my fun fact my favorite flower because of its history and the things that it symbolizes in cultures and this delicate thing that you let die to kind of release the, I don't know, constraint of having to hold back on who you are. And, you know, now that your innocence and your purity has died, what comes after that? And then they just didn't use any of that. And they replaced it with these practical effects, which is great. Don't get me wrong. Love body horror. I love the way that it is used as a medium to drive the horror aspect, but also kind of, um, push people to their limits. It pushes your mind to because everything that you see, like the eye thing, it has different things for different people. Right. I got poked in the eye with a stick when I was younger and had a you know a bloody eyeball, and it terrifies me to get anything close to my eye because that hurts so bad. And now any time I see somebody doing something to an eye, I, I relive that <laughs> moment, you know. And it's it's yeah, it's the eye thing. The practical body effects in this were great. They were fantastic. Really they solid. Throw up. Yeah, yeah they, three, I mean, three if you're, it, you got to stop. You got to be like, hold on, I'm gonna go take a glass of water, take a beat, hold on. Well, it is a bummer. It is a bummer that they sacrificed the you know, the storytelling they had in the first film in order to get this one done. And, and I think what what drove that, what the reason that happened, is because contracted contracted was so well received, and not just for like the practical effects, but also just the the you know, the themes and the storytelling itself. It was so well written and so well directed and well acted that that essentially a sequel was green lit and they wanted to get it done like like how we want to capitalize on this because it's such an extreme style horror film very similar yeah. to uh, to Thanatomorphose which if if those who haven't seen Thanatomorphose is a film that essentially examines the internalization of trauma and internalization of abuse and then how that changes us from the inside out but in a disgusting way in which the girl is, in which the the female protagonist essentially rots from the inside out, you know, it's, you know, it's really, really, it's really fucking disgusting. But we it's talked done. about it here on the show. <laughs> it's, it's nuts. But in this one, the film was trying, like Forbes was trying to get the film done so quickly that they kind of didn't have time in the writing, you know, writing wise, it's much easier to write just like these gory, gross scenes with some perfunctory dialogue, you know, but in this, you know, he didn't have time to explore it like he wanted to, like for the first film. And so I think the rush job is what ultimately hurt this one because you know, they people were talking second. The second one, people were talking a phase three, and you know, this this is what it was going to be. And he was so he was running so quick in order to get this thing done that essentially he kind of fell on his face and just eschewed all the things that made the first film great for just another you know another drop in the bucket zombie film. Just ramp up the uh, the ick and the gore factor in order to kind of like grab people's attention. But that's not what people were looking for. Not what people drove. Not what. Not what people what drew, drew people to the first film, which I thought was absolutely uh, fantastic. It just it just did not develop the predecessors' uh, concepts very well, and I wish it had because it was just a, such a missed opportunity. 
Um, no, I'm not bringing out the turd polisher for this one, Sarcasm. Don't need to, since the theme was good, but the execution needed a little uh, less misogynistic writer. There was a bit of misogynism in this one. Um, a little, <clears throat> I mean, ostensibly, the the very premise of the entire franchise is is predicated on an act of sexual assault. So there's a you know the br- the brutality there. Not to mention a, not to mention your lead character who's not certain if she's gay or bi and is still in the closet and then falls for this dude who then seduces her and then grapes and then infects her with the zombie virus. There's a and you know given what we watch, it's pretty brutal. But uh, yeah, I just wish there had been a little bit more of the depth in this one. Just a little too shallow for me. Uh, let me see. Dr. Nimrod is here. Good to see you, Dr. Nimrod, who has been a What's member up? of who's been a member of the Army of the Dead for a month. Thank you so much, Dr. Nimrod. Appreciate you hanging out tonight. Do love when uh, love it when you come by. And Travis Brown said, The Fly, 1986, has a good, had a good tragic romance story while having gross out effects. It does. You know, the, the Cronenberg version of The Fly was excellent, but it did, and it was able to accomplish what, what, or it did, what essentially the first Contracted was doing, where it had this excellent depth, you know, deep story going on and the love story and, you know, things that were going on there with the gross out body horror. So, you know, the problem was that I think, I think this falls down on the director. I think this falls down on Forbes. Forbes was rushed. He wanted to get it out as fast as possible. He wanted to strike while the iron is hot. And I think he should have taken his time. If he'd taken his time and actually kind of just, you know, wait, I want to make sure it's there. It's where it's supposed to be. Not just another drop in the bucket body horror, but really something special. I think he could have gone that direction and set us up for a phase three. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Oh, and by the way, Dr. Nimrod, um, Angela and the dogs are doing fantastic. So I appreciate you asking. Thank you very, very much. Um, but yeah, uh, so, and I see that, uh, Eugene is not here, so I will pick it up. I will pick up the, uh, the CTA on this one. So the question is, because after phase two performed so dismally at the box office and phase one, you did so well, but phase two kind of like plummeted. There is a question as to whether or not there will be a phase three, but given what happened with phase two. Do we see a possibility? Does anybody even want to see a phase three? Kind of a conclusion to the idea of like this guy who's actually a member of this cult and wants to spread this uh, this virus and bring about the apocalypse, which is essentially the whole thing that's going on. Is you know he's basically Johnny Appleseeding the you know the fucking zombie virus throughout the city. And so the question is, do we want to see a phase three? So yes or no to a contracted phase three? Let us know down in the comments below. Of course, here in the live chat or a weekendhorror gmail.com. Love to hear what you think. Let us know. Phase three, contracted phase three, yes or no? Let me see. Operation Free World said, is there a limited window to release a sequel and bank on it? I prefer a great one 10 years later over a crappy one rushed out while the iron is still hot. Agreed. Absolutely agreed, Operation. Definitely. <laughs> Casey Cooper said, nope, everyone died. <laughs> uh, definitely. Yeah, rushing it, rushing it to get out, never a good thing. Never a good thing. And uh, Raven Darkstar brings up uh, Alien versus Predator. Because they because they rushed it because fans wanted it so bad so they tried to strike and now it was crap. Travis Brown says no no no, but Paracord Princess says yes. A conclusion to the story, very intriguing. I I'm think curious. eight years later and what what has happened in the world in the last few years, I think you could probably swing it. That's true. What's going on out in the world right now, especially with the recent news that's kind of come out that there may be a place. Well, yeah, once we're past the strike. We may be able to, there may be the, I would say the 
the or I say the atmosphere may be ripe for something of that nature. I would agree. It's Let's tough. See, Ivy, Ivy Gentry says maybe it depends on how much they put into it. Agreed. Let's hope they have a decent budget. Um, Aaron Reese says, did, did JL just compare Johnny Appleseed to the apocalypse? I don't know if that's epic or terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, actually, um, I stole that line. I kind of stole that. I was in, I, the, the line was inspired from Dreamcatcher, from Morgan Freeman. Oh, you know, shit. and is one of these guys breaking out of here and spreading the infection like he's Johnny fucking Appleseed or something. That, that's where I got that line. Yep, so, that's where yeah. it is, <laughs> Mister Gray, Mister Mister Gay. Yes, absolutely. Mr. Gay. All right, so uh, since Eugene had to step away, but let's go on to our second one. That's you, Alex. That's you, Jail. Oh no, shit! I, I, I scrolled down. I'm at. It's me. It's me. <laughs> it's me. My bad. It's me. <laughs> yeah. So the second film that we're going to talk about tonight, released September sixth, two thousand thirteen. We have the remake, actually, of uh, Come Out and Play, Mexican horror film. Let's check out this trailer. Cue up the terror tube. All right, so that was the trailer for Come Out <clears throat> Come Out and Play. It was a Mexican horror film uh, written and directed by Makinov and based on El Juego de los Niños by Juan Jose Plans or the children's game and starring Vanessa Shaw, <clears throat> Vanessa Shaw and Evan Moss Backrack and who people might remember from uh, Punisher and uh, Girls and a number and, and uh, also he's on The Bear right now as well. But uh, the film essentially follows a couple, a guy and his wife, and his wife is, uh, I believe, eight months pregnant, and they decide to go out to an, a, a, an island during, a during a, the local celebration, and they charter, they take a boat out to an island and discover that they can, only the children are around. There are no adults, and they slowly begin to uncover that something very, very sinister is going on on the island. Um, it is a brutal fucking film, and... I, I okay. So, one thing that's really, really intriguing about this is that the the film itself is a remake. The film is a remake of, if I remember correctly, it's a a remake of Who Can Kill a Child, which is also known as Island of the Dam, which came out in 1976. Was a Spanish horror film, and that was and that was based on the book El Juego de los Niños, the uh, the children's game, uh, which came out, I believe, in the 50s by Juan Jose Plans. And essentially, it's about uh, children being affected by this kind of evil, very children of the corn, children of the corn style, where they kill all the the adults on this island, and then as more adults come, they essentially are then able to kill them and then get off the island themselves because the movie is yeah, has a bad end, it pretty much has a uh, spadicapita, <laughs> yes, child like children of of the corn on an island. Um, Yes, her being pregnant did did play into the plot as well because there's something that is infecting the children as they come into contact with one another. Like something happened, although it's never really explained. Just this evil that the children can then spread amongst one another. Now, this particular film, what Makinov put together was a really, really brutal version of Who Can Kill a Child because in Who Can Kill a Child, things much more was left up to the imagination. This one went really, really extreme because in Who Can Kill a Child, the whole question came down to was putting adults in a situation where could they could they choose to kill a child in the situation? If the children are coming after you, could you do that? Very similar to Children of the Corn. He's like when he has the opportunity to like take out the kids, but he chooses not to because they're fucking kids. It's the same it's quandary. Kid. Exactly. 
Whereas Who Can Kill a Child played more by exploring that and not really showing the graphic nature of it. And this one, it goes hella graphic, not just what the kids are doing to the adults and like the whole sequence where they're playing with their body parts and shit and doing, you know, doing fucked up shit. <laughs> but when he finally decides to go to fucking town on them, it's like, oh, you know, I God. am an adult. And, you know, it's like, hold on. <laughs> it's me or them. And they're what tiny. Is that, what is that? What is that? Uh, what is, what's that? What would you rather do? Fight? What was it? What would you rather do? Fight eight? Uh, or fight, it was like, oh. I can't remember, what the, you remember what I'm talking about, right? It was yeah. like, it was fight this or fight like 300, it was like fight, uh, 300 third graders or yeah. three, I was, I don't, not really, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure, but when he starts going to town and Eben starts like running around like, wow, I'm just taking out kids left and right, just like fucking Sauron in the fucking battle, just, just it was taking fucking, them out. It's, I mean, oh. you know, you kind of have to, it's, it's, it's cool that he didn't totally ruin this okay so the original story um the book and then the movie and there's like a lot of background on how like the kids are now messed up now because of stuff that the adults did and and there's like a you know make sure you're treating your kids right kind of backstory on a lot of it um that kind of played into this one i don't know it kind of came down more to just waiting for him to unload on the kids and you know what? If you've got kids, you understand how fucking creepy children's movies, like children horror movies are. Because right. everybody that's a parent, I guarantee at least half the people you know that got kids have some fucking terrifying story about their kids. Mine, I'll make it real short. Why don't you go put my, uh, she must have been two or three at the time. Little kid, you know, just, just learning how to like make complete sentences. Go to put her down to sleep one time and she's staring at the corner of the room. And, you know, I watch plenty of horror movies, so I'm like, nope, not turning around. So I asked her, what are you looking at? She goes, my friend, and then proceeds to take her eyes and follow them up the corner of the room to the ceiling above us. And I said, good night, sweetheart. And I walked out of the room. <laughs> you can see some shit that I can't. I don't, I don't want nothing to do with that. But, but the aspect of kids being the enemy. So there's a lot of, you know, horror where kids are, there's kid ghosts or kid, you know. When there's actual like kids here that seem to be just kids and they are now a threat, that's where it's like shit. Now we're in this moral dilemma. Like, fuck, man. Yeah. Like, kill a kid? Does the kid kill me? Do I just let the kid kill me because I don't want to live in this hellscape? Like, I don't know. Yeah. So yeah, it was, it, it, it was intriguing. It was intriguing what Mackinac brought to it. And I, I will give him this. It's a it's a very it, okay. So the film itself, unfortunately, was a box office bomb. It really didn't do anything. And I blame that. Uh, due, due to the lack of marketing. The reason that they, it wasn't really put out there that Mackinac was doing this. This was Mackinac's first major work. He'd done some shorts before this, but then came out to do this one. And he and he really was, this kind of a passion project for him. And then it really didn't go, it, it unfortunately didn't go anywhere. And we haven't really heard anything from Mackinac since. And this came out in uh, 2013. He hasn't really done anything since then. Now, the Did film itself- off his bomb? It was it, it bombed. It was a nuclear out. explosion. Yeah, that's true. It yeah, made it, like twenty six hundred dollars on like a nine hundred forty thousand dollar budget. That was bad. Yeah, yeah, it was it was not good, which is a shame because the film itself, I I felt was very well acted. You know, yeah. Vanessa Shaw, Vanessa Shaw, and Evan Moss Backrack were both really really good. The awesome kids chemistry. were all you know terrifying in their respect. You know, it it, it was well done. Not to mention, it, I thought it was incredible, incredibly well shot. Good, excellent practical effects. You know, there's no like CGI bullshit in this one. 
and really, really fucking creepy. You know, especially when the kids start transmitting the shit to one of them, you realize that, you know, one of the girl transmitted the shit to the to the baby that you know had yeah. to be born. Yeah. yeah. And they go through the whole sequence of the baby killing her from the inside, which is really fucking savage. So it was really well shot. I love the exterior scenes. I love the creepiness of having this this island town that is just completely vacant. And everything was well done. You know, excellent choices here and there. The sound was great. Cinematography was fantastic. The way it was lit, the, the everything was good. Everything was working on point. But this is the one thing I want to talk about because as good as this movie was, in my eyes, was how how well crafted it was, and it was a decent adaptation. Even though he eschewed some of the some of the more interesting and deep story elements in favor of the visual you know atrocities that are going on, which is a, which is okay. It's 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 a movie. My problem was was Makinov himself. Now this is really really intriguing. I wanted to get your opinion. I, I hope Eugene comes back because I want to get his opinion on this as well. Now for those unfamiliar. With Makinov, there's not a lot out about this guy. Okay, so Makinov is, a, to put it loosely, would, would I be correct in saying kind of an oddball director? He, yes. So digging, in, <laughs> digging into this guy, after we started talking about um, just how kind of off he was, he had a near-death experience and came back from it a little broken, I believe, would be the way to put that. Um, and he went into a lot of what really matters, kind of a, a I don't want to say a nihilist view, but more of like a exploratory view on the world. And mm-hmm. having his passion in making these movies and then having this near-death experience, I think, broke something inside of him. And I feel like he kind of reached on this one as his... Because he caught... There was a short that came out before this movie came out, and it was Mackinac's manifesto. And he kind of, it's on YouTube, I think. Uh, it was a long time ago, but um, it, it was like, this is what I want to do. I want to do this. This is my passion. And he put it out there, and it flopped. And I think that hurt him a lot, but only because if you really look at his backstory, this was this was it. This was his his big push to be like, it either I either make it or break it. So yeah, yeah, he was a little off. He's a little weird, um, but he knew what he wanted, and that was dangerous in the state of mind that he was in because I don't think he got it. Not that this was bad, because this movie, like you said, it was it was done well. It was a good yeah. movie. It's worth a watch for sure. Sir, Sir Kasdan brings up it, it was well, it was well paced as well. The pacing absolutely. of it was very good. Editing was solid. Pastoral and slow opening build to an absolute frantic finale. Absolutely, it was well constructed. It was a very competent horror film. You know, as yeah. far as adaptations go, I really, I thoroughly enjoyed it. But yeah, I was, I was I, but I wondered, was like, wh- why didn't this thing you know, like, like go off like it should have? And especially with, you know, like Makinov, you know, he is, he's setting up this kind of idea as to what kind of auteur he wants to, you know, this kind of, you know, horror auteur. And unfortunately, th- this is where I think the breakdown goes. Now, Makinov himself, for, no, for anybody who's never seen a picture of this guy, is that there's no pictures of his face. Is that everywhere he appears, he always wears a mask. It's very, mask. it's very um what what's the what's the group? Uh, you know, the I don't yeah, I I don't know the music that group. well. No, no, the other the ones with the masks. Daft punk. Daft very daft uh, daft punk. Very <laughs> daft punk. So he he goes everywhere and he wears a mask. Now, when they were shooting on set, he wasn't always there because Mackinac, as an artist, has this really interesting take that I think worked against him and that was and that was ultimately that he felt that him being present 
or him showing his face would somehow infect the story with his, with his ego. That somehow his ego would infect the story of what, of what was happening. He didn't want to see himself reflected in the movie itself. So he's trying to remove himself from it, remove his ego from it. And he went to extreme lengths to make this happen. Predominantly, the biggest one is, is that he go, he went everywhere wearing this mask and wearing these goggles over the mask. Sometimes you take him off. And even Evan says that when they spent some time, they spent some downtime like together, like they went out octopus hunting and everything, he wouldn't take the mask off like ever. So, and it was always really kind of problematic. And he was really, really frustrated with it because he had a difficult time seeing out of it. So, but that's the way he conducted himself. The problem is he made such a big deal about removing himself from the picture. Instead of just letting the actions speak for themselves, he set it all up. It's all this big thing. So people begin to wonder, is this just a ploy? Is this just like interesting character work? Is it is just, just, you know, this is what he's trying to do in order to kind of like, like I'm Makinov, oh, you know, but that's the problem. And that's where I think he failed is that in trying so hard and making such a big deal out of removing his ego from the project and not wanting the movie to reflect him, but reflect the story, which is admirable. He in turn hurt himself by making such a big deal out of it that the whole thing became infected by his ego. Is I think what happened. It's ironic. Yes. It's ironic because of the way that he spoke about it. Um, I think I have a quote pulled up here Uh, by punishing the ego through anonymity, anonymity, he can command the wisdom of being one with another. And uh, he claimed that he wears the mask while working with his cast and crew in an effort to enforce his personal vision of the cinema that detaches itself from the ego driven model of the director, which, but what you're doing is you're drawing more attention to it. So is it, is that you hurt yourself? So you're punishing yourself. So it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy right? in the opposite way that I think he was thinking that it was going to work. So he kind of like he generated the outcome that he was desperately trying to avoid because he was so desperately trying to avoid it. You know, I feel like Master Ugwe of the <laughs> Kung Fu Panda, right? You know, he like he, he like he met the destination he was going for. One often meets their destination on the road they choose to avoid it. So that that's what that's what I think he ran into, and that's ultimately what I think hurt the film is because rumors about this dude started to abound, and then. When people start talking about him, talking about working with him and how kind of off he is and how kind of like strange. And he has like this really, really, uh, you know, you know, I would say almost antithetical approach as a director, you know, all, you know, and then people start talking about that instead of the quality of the movie, which I think he essentially kind of shot himself in the foot on this one. I, I know it's admirable, admirable to try and remove your ego from the project, the kind of like denial of ego or the ego destruction so that you don't infect your art. But yeah. art ostensibly is a reflection of those who do it. It's, you, you can't, or, or it's an expression of those who do it. And you can't avoid that. You can only try to find a balance between the two. We, we wouldn't have a podcast if the ego of the director wasn't portrayed in films because they would all be the same. Everybody would be right. the exact same. So no, the ego is very important when it comes to, especially, you know, we're talking about Avatar earlier. Really. You want to talk about ego, James Cameron. Holy shit. You could just <laughs> all day. I'll well, say so, to his face. so the thing is, is with ego. Well, because a lot of directors have egos. A lot of directors are a like a type personalities. Says the but, director. Yeah, it says the director. <laughs> That's why I wanted to hear you what Eugene had to say on this because yeah. this is intriguing. Because like like Aaron says, the mask was such a statement that it created a cult of personality, which is nothing but ego. So, 
But go so, ahead, well, so the thing is, we look at someone like, say, James Cameron, right? James Cameron has a large, large ego, but it's earned. He has the pedigree to, if he wants a shot a certain way, people are going to bend over backwards to get him what he wants because he's proven himself. Uh, when you get when you get up and coming directors that they want to be dicks and they want their ego and all this other kind of stuff, what ends up happening is it starts diluting the project because you start taking away your experts, your other experts in the field. When you get the examples of people who are just yes men, right, and you get things like for example, for example, like the Phantom Menace with George Lucas. George Lucas is not a bad director, but no one told him no. The entire production, no one told him no, and you end, up getting, you end up getting Phantom Menace, whereas if you look at A New Hope, A New Hope did have budget restraints, and you had producers who were like, no, that's not going to work. The studio was like, no, stuff like this. So he had to change things, and then when you look at Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, first of all, he didn't direct those two. He was just the producer on them, and you had other people who were going like Irving Kershing, I think he did Empire Strikes Back, was like, I'm going to do this this way. I'm going to change this. So you have to have somebody who can step in and tell you no, because you're not always going to be, you're not always going to have the best idea on something. You're just not. It's just, it's human <laughs> nature. That's why you have, that's why you have your department heads. That's why you have your cinematographer. That's why you have your editor. That's why you have your assistant director and you have your production designer, because sometimes if you get the right people, they're going to come up with better ideas than you. They just are like the editor of Jaws that went over Steven Spielberg's head. Hey, your shark looks like crap. <laughs> yeah. And Steven yeah. Spielberg said, no, I want to see it. So the editor went over Spielberg's head and straight to the studio, and the studio sided with the editor. And ends up, that's what everybody likes about Jaws. Oh, you don't really see the shark till the very end because the editor knew. Right. If Steven Spielberg had his way, the shark would have been seen in the first five minutes when it goes attacks the girl swimming. That was Steven Spielberg's. That's how he envisioned it. And it would have looked terrible. So you never want to be in a position of that. Yes. Except the Stanley Kubrick, the James Cameron. And those are the extreme exceptions to the rule. Aaron Reyes brings up, it's the difference between pride and arrogance. Pride is earned, but arrogance is assumed. And I would I absolutely agree with that. I think Makinov, and it was, someone else brought it up as well. What was it? Where did they say it? It was um, Sarcasm brought up and then put his name in great big bold letters over the title. You know, it was like, ah, oh, I'm an artist, Makinov, the artist. And I think, you know, like, I, I don't want to dump on the dude for what he tried to do. And I don't want to say that he wasn't earnest in his efforts, but I will say maybe he didn't think that through and he wound up sabotaging. He wound up self-sabotaging. You know, he undermined the his film, which which is fucked up because it's it's actually a good fucking movie, you know? But the reason nobody heard about it and it made no money at the box office is because no effort was put in to really market this thing to a grander audience. Like, you know, I don't know if you heard, Eugene, but... The film itself, what was it? Uh, Alex pulled it up. Had a budget, a US, like US dollars budget, is a Mexican film, man, of $940,000. $940,000 grand to shoot this movie. It was $12 million in, in, uh, in Mexican currency. In Mexican dollars. <laughs> in Mexico, you know, like that. But box, <laughs> box office, $2,600. Bucks. 
Well, because also what happens is if you don't have someone experienced, like a producer or a distributor, a lot of times what happens is you have $1 million to make a film, and then people spend every dime of that million dollars, and they get their film. And they're like, cool, I have a film. And then they're like, all right, so how are you going to let people know the film exists? Because you got to pay an editor for the trailer. You got to yeah. pay for, you got to pay PR company. There are companies out in LA that their specific job is to market films. And I'm wondering if he tried to play off of the, the whole being the guy behind the mask thing was supposed to be his ploy and that was supposed to get everybody talking. But you can't just rely solely on just a, a ploy like that. It's just not going to work. You got to have the marketing. I think it, I think it would have worked, but I think he played it too hard. Is what it was like. He went he like like he went too deep with it. If he had just done the whole mask thing, didn't answer questions about it, did his job as a director, but just you know, I'm going to try this tactic. I'm going to be a director. I'm going to do the director thing because he didn't even do that. He wasn't actually on set all that often, according to the actors, according to Shaw and 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 uh, Moss Backrack. That he wasn't there all that often. And when he did show up, he was in the mask, but he was very hands-off. In fact, he rarely, if ever, gave notes. So like they would do the, the they would do a take and then that would and he was like, cut. And then they would move on. He'd like, and so no notes for the actors. And they they were good. If they were okay with it, it was like, okay, if he's got no notes, then we then we're good. We're moving on. No sweat. <laughs> so the problem was if he had just showed up did his job as a director like any director like any normal director would do and just use the mask as a personal thing like i'm gonna i'm gonna wear this and i'm gonna do this in an attempt to try and remove myself from this you know if he just done that like almost experimental that might have worked but he made such a big fucking show out of it and it was such a big thing that was integral to his process that that's all that people could talk about and it overshadowed what was ostensibly a, and actually a really good fucking movie. So, which oh. is why I think, you know. Because, I mean, at that point, it's just, it's weird. Uh, you're expecting, as a director, to have a certain dynamic with your crew and a certain dynamic with your cast. Um, you want to be able to get into a, a point where the cast trusts you, where they're able to tell intimate and personal secrets, maybe get a certain performance out of, of an actor for a specific scene. You have to be able to really connect. You don't want to disassociate yourself with the crew and you don't want to put yourself above people like that's that's one of the things is you have you have this once again going back to the ego stuff you start putting yourself above everybody you start belittling people and then when you start giving actors we stop giving actors notes what ends up happening is this actors either go oh well i guess he got what he wanted we're going to move on but after enough times of not giving notes actors are going to feel like you gave up yeah, like maybe you're not getting you're not getting your vision at all whatsoever, and you don't see a point anymore, and you're just kind of like you know you've, uh, you've just, accepted the fact that you're not going to get what you want, so just fuck it. Let's, let's just get just this move, over with. Let's move. And I've seen I've I've seen directors. I've seen directors try to direct actors, and they're just not getting. And eventually, directors like you know what, we're just gonna let's move to the next scene, and like they're like you know it's just it's going to be what it is. And that's like defeating. That's got to be so disheartening, especially because like the actors, like I still can't figure out what's going on. I don't know what to do. Or that's a tale sign that you're going to be in a bad movie, yeah. and you're all of a sudden you're like four or five days into a twenty day shoot, and you're like, maybe this is going to be a bad movie. 
and or unless you're Stanley, unless, days left. Yeah. unless you're Stanley Kubrick, and he will get it no matter what it takes. But he has <laughs> the thing is he has the pedigree because when you look at though we had uh, Shelley Duvall do 127 takes, that movie was shot on film. So imagine the cost of film of 127 takes, knowing you're not going to use 126 of them. That's uh, if you're a first time director using film, that's not going to fly. That's not no. The producer, the the producer's going to fly in and and literally string you up on the set. It's like, what are you doing? You get two takes, and you're going to move on. You freaking psycho! (laughs) Like, you have an idea how much these reels cost? Do another take and get it right. It's like, what the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> well, it's also, it's like David Lynch, where David Lynch is known for, he would tell an actor, you know what, we're going to roll it again, and I want you to do it better. <laughs> that's it? That's all you're going to give me? That, that's I've got, it. I've got, I've got that. Yeah. I've actually gotten that before myself. Yeah, it was like doing one, doing one take. It was like, you know, say the line, and then the director. Uh, what I can't stand is when you do it, and then you say the line, you complete the scene. You and the actors know when the scene is done. There's nothing more to because we we know what we're shooting. And then the director that you get to a point and you stop, and then everybody's like, and then the director's just no cuts, no no walk up, no 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 keep rolling, no nothing at all, no just he just the scene's over, but they're still going, and he's just sitting there or they because you know, was just sitting there like looking at just, and you have no idea what to do. You know, it was yeah. like, do we do it again? Do we go back to one? What, like, like, what's happening here? Nope, nope. Directors got to take their time, you know, and really, really make you know, make you make you question your worth as an actor. And eventually, God, let's move on. It's like, what the fuck, man? Do you think <laughs> that was your best work? Do you think that was your best? Do you think you might be able to do it better? Well, so it, it depends if there's Is a purpose like that. Because I'll go back to Denzel Washington in the movie Glory. Uh, the scene where he's getting uh, whipped because they thought he was a deserter. And so they had a pad on his back because they're using the real like flog. And it didn't hurt. It didn't break the skin, but it was uncomfortable. Right. When it happened. So uh, the director goes, cool. Well, we're, we're going to do 10 hits. And I'm going to say cut. Didn't say Washington. Like, cool. So boom, action. They do the 10. And the director's like, so the, he wanted the to see actor, that look on the he wanted to see look on Denzel's face, that frustration. He wanted to see that. I get it. So I get the it. actor's like, it just like he, keeps going. He, he goes, goes like another like 20 times. Like it's a, ridiculous, it's a ridiculous <laughs> amount, but he got the, like that has a purpose. And if you're just sitting there, just like, I don't know. I want to see what just the actor. You're just I want to see time. what they do. Dance yeah. for me, puppets. <laughs> I fucking hate. Oh God, I hate that. There's that, that, there's that type A ego right there. That's you know right. So I know I think... you know that I know that you can do it better. <laughs> I think that's what happened with Makinov is that he he shot the film in the foot with his own antics. Like, well, yeah, I I don't know. Nobody. He doesn't really give interviews. He doesn't really give interviews. He doesn't really talk to people. We haven't really heard anything of him. Like he dropped this film out of nowhere after doing a couple of short films on shamanism. And then he drops this film out of nowhere, this, you know, this ostensibly excellent movie and just disappeared because I, no one really knows why. It's like, and p- the people who know him have said, well, he'll pop up when he wants to pop up and do his thing. He may be on a mountain somewhere, like communing with, you know, the stratosphere or, or something, something. I have no, the Kashuk records or some shit, but nonetheless, 
I hope he, if he does come back, I hope he doesn't shoot himself in the foot. Um, because I think he's got really, I think he's got real talent as a director. You know, he's got good instincts and he, and he works with excellent, with very talented and excellent, uh, uh, excellent, uh, people who have great vision and can, and can help to, I would say, translate what he wants to the film itself. So it's just a shame that he got in his own way. That's what, that's what really, really sucks. But what I want to ask the audience, given that come out and play, despite the fact that it is, that it is a really, really good film, do you think, or is it, which one did you think was better? Because one thing that was that Makinov did with this film was he eschewed much of the philosophical aspects of, of the movie about you know adults having to take the life of a child he eschewed much of that for the violence and the gore that occurs in this that occurs in his version but which one do you think was better the original 1976 spanish film or do you think this one was better makinov's vision was better that we don't need all that deep philosophical underpinning or we you know we maybe we do let us know what you prefer the original version or the remake down in the comments below or we can horror gmail.com or let us know here in the live chat. And I know probably a lot of people probably not seen the original, but there you go. There's two movies you can check out. You can check out the original, which was uh, Who Can Kill a Child, came out in 76. And I believe that was directed by, um, yeah, Narciso Cerador. So you can check out that one, or you can check out um, Come Out and Play. Both, you know, both of them great films. Just they take it, you know, different approaches, each one. I just found it was like weird. It was like, man, Mackinac, you know, innov innovative or, or was he just a straight up contradiction? I just think he was a contradiction in terms. You know, unfortunately, he, he was trying so hard not to be that he wound up being one, which is, a, you know, a fucking Alanis Morissette song. <laughs> <laughs> you try too hard. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Alex, what we got next? All right. Let's, I'd say move away. I don't know. Sounds weird, too. Let's talk about hashtag alive. Came out September eighth, twenty twenty. Super poor timing. Roll the trailer. So of all three of us, what we were thinking, that probably wasn't one of them. <laughs> that was not. That option was not on the table. Not at all. I have two options. I can open the door or not open the door. In that situation, it's always going to be not open the door. <laughs> and I see Robert Biter's here. Good to see you, Robert Biter. Thanks so much. He says late again. Stupid work. That's okay. You jumped in just in time. We're talking about a really, really good one now. So thank you very much, uh, Robert Bider, for being here. And I thought I saw somebody else had popped in. I'll catch him here in a second. But uh, thank you, thank you so much for being here. Yes, Casey Hooper never opened the freaking door ever, oh, ever. No. God. Okay, this one is hashtag alive. Um, I'm going to butcher the shit out of some names in this, so I apologize in advance. But I'm going to try my hardest here. This was directed by Il Cho, written by Il Cho and Matt Naylor. Uh, this one's starring Yu Ain, Park Shin Hai, Jean Besu. Um, we've got Young Wak Sun, Chai Kung Lee. Uh, we got a lot from the trailer here. This is going to be a typical zombie movie. You've got your introverted, like you said, JL, introverted gamer, teenager in the house playing video games when the news kicks on to, hey, something's fucking happening. And like magic, this person is right in the middle of the epicenter of this situation where zombies are now running across the street, killing people. As we saw, it all started out and this guy was pretty okay. And then he opened the fucking door. 
And after he does that, <laughs> shit goes fucking south. So, if you didn't open yes. the door, we wouldn't have a movie in an emergency situation. Keep the door locked, keep your Glock cocked, and sit back and wait for instructions. <laughs> Locks cocked and ready to sit on my ass and wait for somebody to tell me what to do. Yep. <laughs> I got enough ammo in here to, to sit and wait for a little bit. Uh, I really I, dug this one. I, I, I the entry. It... Didn't Alex's hair used to be darker? Yes, it did. I have this weird thing where as soon as the sun comes out in the summer, my hair goes to a lighter color. Thanks for noticing. Awesome. So I found this really, really interesting because uh, typically you get like American films or you get like uh, Korean films or Japanese films or, you know, like Eastern films that are adapted for American audiences. This is actually the opposite because yep. hashtag alive is actually based on an American horror film that also came out in 2020 that called Alone, starring Tyler yep. Posey and Donald Sutherland. Then that film didn't, didn't didn't do as well. This is what I find this is really interesting because oftentimes we love East J horror, K horror, you know, uh, horror from the other side, and it gets adapted here, and it's kind of like, eh, not great. But then we released a horror film and then they took it's like, no, you didn't do it right. Let's do it right this time. And fucking hashtag alive comes out and hashtag alive was fantastic. I thoroughly enjoyed this one and was surprised that they, and they took all of the great elements of alone and brought them over and added so many cool things in this. Movie. I, th I don't know what it is. I don't know why that is, but I think they're, they, you know, the approach to horror in the East is just so much more fascinating than we have. They don't rely on formulas as much as we do. And I don't, and, and they're willing to subvert expectations and take risks and really push the envelope when it comes to storytelling, unlike here in America. I think that's what the problem is. It's like, we don't want to take risks because it's all about money. We want to make sure we get that ROI. Whereas in there, over there, it's kind of like, fuck no, we're going to do what we want. And it's going to, it's going to make fucking money because we know we're going to get solid storytelling. It's the storytelling. And that's, this is one of those movies. There was one movie called, I don't know if we ever talked about it called The Platform. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah, we talked about it. You get into the movie and like, yes, it's subtitled, but you get to a point in the movie where you're not even looking at the subtitles. You can watch the film, not understand a word that they're saying, but understand the story completely to a degree where you, you don't need the subtitles. That's how I felt in the platform. That's how I felt in this one. This one had a real, a real heavy, um, what's that TV show called? All of Us Are Dead. Yes, that, that was an excellent fucking series. It was a great series, and it came out right around the same time, if, if I'm not mistaken. But I watched them right around the same time. But yeah, it, it, the story is so good. You don't even need the you don't need the dialogue. Not that the dialogue is bad, but it's not necessary to the story because it's done so well. It's acted out so well. Well, also when you look on top of that. Is first of all, JL nailed it when it's like foreign horror doesn't have to follow any rules. No. And that is what makes a lot of the films that they do far superior because of that. And I don't know what it is with American culture, and we don't want to read subtitles, but I'll always quote the director of the movie Parasite, where he goes, a world of cinema will open up for you if you aren't afraid of subtitles. Yeah. And that is 100% true. Sure, you got to kind of get into it the first five minutes, but after a while, you don't even you don't even notice the subtitles. And on top of that, films that are shot well, the cinematography will tell the story, even if you miss a line. Yeah. Like you can a shot if it's shot well, you'll always know what's going on if you miss something. If I'm and, feeling the yeah. scene, I don't necessarily need to read the dialogue. 
Yeah. Aaron yeah. Reese brings up, look up the Korean concept of Han. It has to do with an innate cultural sense of suffering, and it has had a huge effect on their horror movies. And I can, I, I, you bring that up, I'm going to have to look, look deeper into that, but I already get where you're going with that, Aaron. Absolutely, I, I will agree with that one. And I love this one. The one thing that is really, really intriguing that I thought, and oh, you brought up subtitles. So I, I've got two thoughts going at the same time. You brought up subtitles. The movie that, that, that taught me that it's okay to have subtitles was Das Boot. So yes. <laughs> I saw that one, and that, that's the one that could have kicked it off. That's why I started giving them a chance. If I hadn't given subtitles a chance, I wouldn't have found excellent movies like fucking The Host, you know, because The Host was a fantastic monster movie, and I yes. wouldn't have seen shit like fucking Ichi the Killer and fucking, you know, Happiness the Category is all that, oh, you know, an old boy, you know? You, there's so many fantastic films out there of, of all genres that if you, if you don't want subtitles, or if, you're, if you're just like, oh, I don't like reading it, or even if you don't like dubbing, you know, if you just want it, like if you want it straight, then yeah, you are going to miss out on a lot. Now, the one thing I dug about this, about oh, Hashtag Live, I thought they did brilliantly. Number one, it's shot just beautifully. The film, everything is fantastically done. It's extraordinarily well edited. The sound design and the cinematography are great. One thing that I really, really dug is far from a narrative, this is both a writing perspective and from a cinematography perspective. As our hero, and I want to make sure that I pronounce his name correctly, as Ojun Wu, as O, because the, the names, yeah, Ojun Wu is trying to survive in his apartment and he makes contact with the girl across the way. As he's trying to figure out what to do, because ostensibly they make a big thing that he has no survival skills whatsoever. He's kind of like, fuck, I'm trapped. What am I going to do? So he starts trying to like, like make his way through this and try to figure it out, kind of like, you know, piecemeal as he's going along. As he's doing this and he encounters each obstacle and he approaches it from the perspective of what he is, which is an introverted gamer that views things in an almost exploration and almost platform, you know, kind of like ideology. He's like he he looks at the world through that lens, which I found intriguing. The girl that lives across from him also sees the world in a different perspective. And it's how those two perspectives are given equal time and in exploring the world and how they mesh and also how they conflict makes very intriguing character arcs as far as like when somebody chooses to do something, the other person doesn't see the rationality in that, but then sees it after the fact. And I love that they took the time to explore that, not to mention them, but all the other people they encounter, like the dude who's in his apartment, who is, a, who is you know, when you meet people in the apocalypse, they're always fucking crazy. And if the guy invites you in to like have soup and hang out, it's like, oh yeah, come on in. It's like, no, don't go in because it's bad. It's, it's always going to be bad. And, but I love how they embrace that. How, each time we move into a new area, the perspectives change and how we and how we learn as the protagonists learn and we adjust as they adjust and we begin to see things through di through different people's eyes. And I thought that was brilliant and beautiful storytelling that came through in both the cinematography and in the narrative itself as we see these characters grow and adapt right before our eyes, given the extraordinary situation that they're in, which I, it's, I, it, I imagine is so hard to do. But that stems from the writing and then goes into your cinematographer. Like the guy with the camera and the director, they know what they want and they know how they're going to tell this, which is fucking brilliant. Which is also why Train to Busan works so goddamn well. Because we have so many different passengers, so many different passengers and so many different perspectives to, to draw from. From the coward to the badass who's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fucking fight him, shit. I'm fucking fight the zombies. To the guy who's just trying to get back to his daughter. You know, I, I, oh yeah, I love that fucking, I love how they approach it. It just makes it so different from American horror films. No, and okay, Casey Cooper brought up, wait, you mean looking at the world as an introverted gamer has problems? No, 
no, no, no. Looking at the world as an introvert gamer, that's that's one viewpoint. That's something you have to look at. So you got to find the people that can give you that perspective. And you you confer. This is like a total totally different movie director wise from the last movie because you've got somebody who's like, nope, this is my movie and I'm going to make it all about me unintentionally, but also you know kind of on purpose. And then you got movies like this where you can tell other people were brought in. They get actors or they get people that they can talk to on the outside to be like, hey. If this happened, how would you, you know, approach it? And then they take those notes and they take that in consideration when they're writing the character development and they they implement it for every single character, like on Train to Busan, which is, it's an incredible movie. You could turn off the subtitles and just watch the movie and it's fantastic. You don't need any of the dialogue because every character is developed on screen as they should be because they've, they've done the research and American movies don't do that a whole lot, you know, with the exception. Obviously, there's great movies, great directors and all that. But a lot of it's cash grab. You go into different cultures and it's the storytelling that's important. And they nailed it. Even on something like this, like a 2020 hashtag titled movie. And they nailed character development. They nailed all of the scenes to a point where you can feel what the what the actor is, you know, feeling. Or the character is feeling, not the actor. What the actor is portraying, what the character is feeling. And that's that's brilliant acting, writing, directing. Everybody comes together on it. It's not a one man show, and that's it, it sets it aside. That's, I love I love Jay and K Horror because they really focus on the storytelling, and that's what it's all about. You want to tell a story, tell the story right. Exactly. And another thing, when you look at when you're watching a zombie movie, good zombie movies aren't about the zombies. It's always about the people. And so it's not necessarily saying, oh, if you're a gamer that's locked away, it's a bad thing. No, it's putting, hey, let's put a thing on isolation. Because so many people are gamers and they lack the survival skills because everything's given to them. Now you're put into the situation. How do you respond? Oh, talking earlier about Train to Busan. What makes Train to Busan so good isn't the zombies. It's the social economic status. And what it says about the themes, because you have you have the dad who's been sacrificing his family for his job and he's trying to reconnect with his daughter. Mm -hmm. And you have the rich guy, the CEO, who will easily screw over everybody so that he survives, which is already kind of a theme point, because that's what he does all throughout the movie. And then you have the one badass guy who <laughs> is he is obviously in terms of like class wise the poorest of them all but he's the one fighting off and he's fighting and he's going out and he's saving people and you even have this moment where you have the dad and you have the guy who's a badass who they acknowledge on a normal day they would have never passed by but now they're becoming they would have never looked at each other Mm -hmm. yep. now they're becoming best friends and they're like you know in a different mm -hmm. world they probably would have grew up being best friends if you take the social economic status out of it that's what makes train to busan a good movie i like how we've just ventured into train to busan yeah the caste <laughs> system completely deteriorates when you're stuck on a train with a bunch of people and the only people that can help you are the ones that you've always looked down on but they'll <laughs> never look down on you because it doesn't matter you're still human but that that theme carries throughout a lot of you know jk any kind of mm. you know eastern horror and it's important. also an, it's it's an element that's explored in, in other films like it you know you'll find it also like in in snowpiercer 
the Snowpiercer oh, explores yeah. this as well yeah. as you move as you move from car to car and you experience different aspects of humanity from situation to situation as the uh, as the people who are at the back are moving up towards the front. And the same thing was in this one in in hashtag Alive as he's moving from apartment to apartment and he's moving to you know d- down closer to the street and encountering different situations as you know to the people who were living in that particular block. The you know the things that he and I love how that. It, it, it explores all the aspects of humanity and is willing to go in directions that we don't expect in order to showcase how people deal with the, how each individual must deal with the apocalypse, not just in a social term, not just in social terms, but also in personal terms, how you internalize it, how you deal with it. All these things that are glossed over in all these things that are glossed over in American cinema. Like you take another one, like a big, a big high octane zombie film, take Dawn of the Dead. Okay. So Dawn of the Dead, the, the uh, everybody like loved. I love the the uh, the um, Zack Snyder remake. I, I absolutely uh, loved it back in two thousand four. Oh, I thought here. it was yeah, it, it was it was well shot. It was well crafted. The zombies were fucking scary because now we got fast zombies, and he he kind of like set the bar there. But when you go back and you look at it for all of its good, for all of its well, all the wealth that uh, that uh, Snyder brought to it, the problem is the characters. The characters themselves, when you look at each and every one of them, they're all actually quite one-dimensional, maybe two-dimensional. There's not a lot of depth to each one of them. Each one of them is an archetype that comes in, and then the archetypes must deal with one another, and that's where you get your generated drama, and then they must all work together and put their separate skills to use, and then they, you know, in trying to survive. But we don't really see it from their perspective. We never see the world through the eyes of Ving Ving Rhames' character. You know, we never like see the world through his eyes. The one character that we really do get to see is, is Andy. Andy, the guy who's, who's like not even really a part of the cast. He's over there on the fucking moon. You know, but we do get to see the, the see the world through his eyes because he's isolated. So whenever we show him, we essentially see the world the way he perceives it. But when the group's together, we see it from the group dynamic, which pulls away. We don't get the depth of exploring what each individual is going through in trying to cope with or deal with this. Usually they just snipe at one another or they just compliment one another. Oh, okay, that's great. Human dynamic. You guys managed to like not kill each other in, in, in an enclosed space, which I don't think is realistic. But these kinds of films like Alive, Busan, Peninsula, you know, to an extent, um, these films are, are willing to go to that length. And I thought that's what's, yeah, I think that's what separates them and what makes this movie so good. Because it did what its predecessor alone did not do. So it went it went to areas and explored those things, whereas Alone was maudlin and just kind of like, uh, what was it? Very American, I'll say this. It's kind of like, <laughs> oh, the loss yeah. of all this. is like, fuck no, man, survive. Do it. <laughs> do what you got to do. Yeah, I mean, exactly. It's, it's, I mean, we're not knocking on American horror film because obviously there's some great ones, but oh, man, yeah. there's just some foreign ones that if you want to go and you you actually want to look at like something you have not seen before, you want to see fresh ideas, you want to see things where foreign films don't always have happy endings. There's no formula for foreign films to have happy endings. We've talked about plenty of foreign films where everybody dies or they're trapped yeah. or whatever. Um, the so, bad ending. You get the yeah, bad the, ending. the bad ending. The bad. <laughs> Which thing is so? Then when you look at foreign films, they have the good ending. That makes you appreciate them even more. Which this one does. Yeah. Oh man! Oh, this sarcasm says tonight's uh, tangent brought to you by K and J Horror. Absolutely. 
Uh, Michelle with one L says, World War Z is the first Fast Zombies that I liked and enjoyed how they sensed the death, uh, sensed the death in the living. I like that aspect. That was really it was an intriguing aspect they brought into it. I like people that try. I like directors that try to bring something new and try to add to it. One thing that Hashtag Alive did really, really well is they utilized, like, like you said, Eugene, zombies are not just supposed to be zombies. Okay, it should be about the human element and what's going on between our characters. But zombies are reflective of something about us, whether it's you know Romero trying to you know like say it's about conformity, conformity, or it's about consumerism, or it's essentially or how or you know like a loss of identity, loss of self, a reflection of the things that we fear the most, and and that's what that does in hashtag Alive. Unlike in Dawn of the Dead. Where they in the remake, where they didn't go with the whole consumerism aspect, it was literally that was like a throwaway line, you know. When all why are the zombies converging on the mall? Maybe it's important for them, and then they move on to the next thing. It's like what? Yeah. Go there, go deep. In alive, we see that reflection. The zombies are the reflection of our own inner chaos, our own inability to to like cope with and deal with everything that's going on around us, and you know the, our lives are chaos. And then all of a sudden, the chaos erupts all around us. And now we can finally do, and now we're finally focused, but we needed the world to fall apart in order to find ourselves, which is fucking tragic, but that's explored very <laughs> heavily in hashtag alive. Very similar to melancholia, Lars von Trier's uh, work, whereas you have Kirsten Dunst and Charlotte uh, Gainsbourg, um, and you have the two, the two sisters. One of them is like out of control. And the other one is like a complete, you know, like control freak, but then the world ends. And then Kirsten Dunst's character is like, Oh, Okay, I found my I found my balance and my peace because now it's all ending and all is good and she's calm and you know lucid. Whereas the sister, who's always been the buttoned up you know control one, loses her fucking shit oh. and goes off the rails. So mm-hmm. and I that's a that's that beautiful exploration that juxtaposition is that how each one of us internalizes the horror around us, and we need to be willing as as filmmakers to do that to explore that with each one of our characters instead of just saying, here's our tropes, here's our cabin in the woods style archetypes, stick them in a room and make them go, you know, and then just throw monsters at them. Eh, bore, it, 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 can get, it gets boring, you know, for lack of a better term. It does. It's boring. Best case scenario, you have a popcorn film, but right. it's, it's, that's all it'll ever be versus something where you have him where he's looking for connection, where no, you no, have no. that. Return of the Living Dead. Russo, when Russo took it off and branched off from uh, from, he brought fast zombies and interesting characters because those punks were fucking yeah. badass, you know. Leanna quickly, mm, mm, Leanna. I still, but, and, I know, still lick my thumb and put it on the front sight before I shoot zombies. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, but going back to hashtag alive, I mean, you're talking about the main theme of connection. Where he starts off, he's an isolated gamer, and he's playing games online. And a lot of times, we think that is a connection. But then when the zombie apocalypse happens, he's learning, he's yearning for an actual real connection to with somebody. And it takes a zombie apocalypse for that to happen. And we see how difficult it is for him to make those connections when he finally does, when he finally starts connecting with the girl across the way. Mm-hmm. He's terrible. He's not great. He like he sticks his foot in his mouth. He's like he's fucking. He's like I don't know how to talk to girlies. What do I do? He's like, which is just bad. That's terrible. I mean, all of them are in a horrible. It's like man, we are so underprepared for the fucking apocalypse. <laughs> you know, time so, to it's, it's we're so underprepared to actually interact with each other. Right. 
Yeah. Oh, it's tragic. Oh, but I love it. I, I yeah. fucking love it. Oh, Insane Angel's here. Good to see you. He says, hey, my sexy boys. Good to see you, Insane. Thanks so much for being here. Uh, Sir Kevin yeah. says, OG, OG, Dawn of the Dead took my zombie movie virginity. Awesome. Very nice. cool. It, w- it was uh, night, the original night. And my dad made sure that I watched Night of the Living Dead, the original one. Because he, you know, my dad got that ending. When my dad saw that ending originally, he was like, what the fuck? Everybody needs to see this. And he was like, <laughs> that's why he made sure both me and my brother, we saw that movie. Because my dad's like, that's a lie. My, my dad who, you know, not, you know, not, he did the best he could with what he had. He's watched Night of the Living Dead, and he saw, he was like, that is a lesson that must be taught. That right there, people need to understand what Romero was saying here. Actually explains a lot about you, J.O. Right. <laughs> hey, Michelle. Oh, Travis, bro, Travis Brown I mean, we, also we talk about more. World War Z all day long. Yeah. Love that movie. What did Casey, Cooper said, Casey Cooper says, I'm certainly under, unprepared for the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> get prepared yeah. have a zombie plan that's the thing everybody have Actually, your zombie plan my, my bug out bag is right there <laughs> you gotta be ready you yep. gotta, gotta be ready it's got gotta some be ready and head, and head north and head north uh, no that's where everybody else is going you gotta head south i'm just kidding we're obviously not going to the same place <laughs> don't look Anyways. at me i'm not divulging my plans no why would you that's why I said go south. Yeah. You have, to, you, you have to meet up with the people that you care about. That's the thing. You have to be able to meet up. That's I'm going to meet up with my friends. But the, we have to go north because the further north you go, the colder it gets. The colder it gets, the harder it is for them to operate, the better your chances for survival. But that's where everybody else. Never mind. We'll talk about yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <difference between. laughs> yeah. We should probably do a live stream about our zombie apocalypse plans. That'd be a good one. All right, we have beat the shit out of this movie. It was a great movie. Great mm-hmm. movie. KJ, Eastern Horror, fantastic, especially when it comes to zombies because they got a really cool outlook on them. But I'd like to ask the audience, and this is kind of time-specific, what do you think the best new being post-2020 zombie horror movie is? What's your favorite post-2020? Now that we've post gone through a pandemic, now that we've been stuck at home you know, and isolated, They've kind of changed the views on how this goes because we've had a we've had a very Max Brooks view on zombies, or you know we've got a Schneider view on zombies, but then now we've gone through a pandemic. It's kind of changed a little bit. We've been through it, not zombies, but a pandemic, being isolated, being taken away from you know the things that you know every day. What do you think? What do you think the best post twenty twenty zombie horror film is? There's a few. Actually, a lot came out, which was kind of wild. Um, I'd have to say oh, the best post 2020. I got to double check. Um, no, because that came out. That came out. Uh, it came out a long time ago. Um, post 2020. Oh, uh, so there's there's something. Oh, so Insanity says I'm still uh, stuck on Z Nation. Way behind like that. Um, I love Z Nation. Black Summer. Z-Nation, Z-Nation, Black yeah. Summer. Black Summer is even better. Black Summer Black is fantastic. fantastic. Well, it's great because it's a prequel. Like. But best post post twenty twenty. Oh man! Like now that we're in the twenty twenties, I'd say I'd say probably most entertaining, and I don't know if it came out in twenty 2020 twenty or twenty twenty one. I don't remember. Was Army of the Dead? Uh, Army Sires. of the Dead was good. Army of the Dead. It was, yeah, a, good, it was, a, it was a fun movie. Yeah. The Tiger was fucking awesome. I have to say, 
the bet like okay so like the best post 2020 i'm gonna have to and this is gonna go uh this is gonna go eastern horror i'm gonna have to say the sadness i think the sadness was the best one to come out yet 2022 that was uh 2021 2021 2021 is when that dropped i'm gonna have to go the sadness because one not as many people have seen it as i think should see it and two it is fucking savage and i'm talking next it's next (laughs) level in in its brutality and plus but but they don't lose despite that despite the fact that it is a fucking gore fest that movie does not drop any any strength in its narrative whatsoever. The characters are deep. They are complex. The way they interact with one another, with the, the way they deal with it, it's like it's like it's like hashtag alive on fucking steroids. It is so fucking intense. But I highly recommend everybody see the sadness if if, if you've got the stomach for it because there's some hardcore stuff in that film. Yeah, doing research on on zombie films like post twenty twenty zombie films before the show. Um, Pet Cemetery is coming out with another fucking movie. So ah, it's uh, bloodlines coming. Uh, yeah, it's just, uh, why would you waste your time? Uh, uh, there's another movie coming out called Dick Dynamite, 1944. <laughs> <laughs> oh, definitely. I see. We got a lot of. We got some love for Army of the Dead. In St. Angels, says Army of the Dead was pretty good. It still had me on the edge of my seat. Yeah, Army of the Dead had some good moments. I I really want to see a sequel so we can figure out what the fucking zombie robots were about because yeah, yeah, I don't on. fucking I, I don't. There's like so much in that movie I don't under I don't fucking understand. It was like what the like shooting zombies ah zombie then he shoots the one and its head explodes and sparks shit and then there's supposedly aliens involved and i was like what the fuck so (laughs) surprise like that makes okay and no explanation whatsoever i was like okay that's great army of the dead was army of the dead was good um army of thieves was also quite good as a prequel i thought army of thieves was really really good so hopefully snyder brings in a sequel that kind of explains shit there Yes, Joshua Lee. Train to Busan does have a sequel. Uh, Peninsula came out in 2021. Yeah. Yep. Oh, and St. of the Baby part messed me up. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's also that movie with a Black Friday. That, yes, the, Black yeah. Friday. Black Friday was fun. Black yeah, Friday was, was enjoyable. Cool. It had yeah. some good moments in it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we got really one no last. Last name. The response to the pandemic really shows how a zombie apocalypse would happen. It does. And it's terrifying because it's not like the movies, but also exactly like the movies it's the mass panic if it's if it's one thing if it's one thing the pandemic taught us is that 60 percent of you motherfuckers out there will not tell us if you got bitten yep (laughs) oh 60 percent of these motherfuckers out there would not say that they were would hide their zombie bite that's a that's something that in terms of a mortality rate if you had something that was 100 percent mortality rate like a zombie i guarantee the number's much higher uh are you hiding? His, are, are, have you been bitten? Of course not. Ah. <laughs> You're wearing a sweatshirt and it's 113 degrees outside. <laughs> Your eyes are blood red. You just ate my buddy. So. <laughs> uh, oh, insane Angels says, where can I watch the sadness? That's a, where is it currently? The sadness. You can check that out. It is uh, available. You have to pay for it. It's on Amazon. Um, but you have to rent it. So it's on Amazon and it's on Vudu for three ninety nine. Um, you can watch if you have the AMC Plus uh, subscription. You can watch it there. It's also on Roku, but uh, you're going to have to rent it. So 
or on Oh no, there's there's free. love for Dead Snow. There's we we talked about Dead Snow and Dead Snow too. So there's love for Dead Snow. We, Fuck yes. We went through that and we have put it behind us because <laughs> Dude, <laughs> fucking fucking zombie Nazis is there's nothing better. Nothing better than popping zombie Nazi heads. All right, Eugene, take us out, man. We got one last one to talk about. All right, the last the last one we have is Nightmares that was released September 9th, 1983. Roll it. All right, that is Nightmares, directed by Joseph Sargent, starring Emilio Estevez, Christina Raines, Lance Henderson, Richard Mazier, and Veronica Cartwright. And basically what it is, is you have four different stories here. So it's, it's like an anthology series. And each one deals with something that's a, a little bit different. So you start off with basically a chain smoker who deals with a serial killer. You have a video game player who basically gets carried away. You have Satan's like truck thing yes. that's just like fuck you all the way through. And then finally you have a rat that pretty much torments a person. And shit gets real <laughs> <laughs> i thoroughly i, I you, you know you know me we we love we love anthologies here i especially love anthology horrors and i really really dug this one even though i will say this we've watched a few anthologies that were geared towards a, a slightly younger audience and i think that this one this one was as well it was as extreme as some of the horror that we talk about so definitely i would say that nightmares was very horror stories for the for the kind of the young at heart, where ostensibly we have uh, urban legends and cautionary tales that are being explored here, and kind of like ancient legends and stuff like the like the devil rat, and but of course you know the killer hiding in the backseat of the car, and you know taking the, your love of things too far. I I enjoyed it just for the tales that were telling, so it felt very, it felt very goosebumps. It felt very alone in the dark. It's you know that that kind of style where it just kind of eases up to the edge. Without going into too extreme territory, where where it conveys these uh these themes in a really really compelling way, and I love short form horror, I absolutely do. And plus, we don't need a framing narrative. Four separate stories, very we don't not even creep show style, just four separate stories. Let's let them run on their own. I I thoroughly enjoyed this one. Just you know how we approach each 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 one. It's just so much fun. So especially the fucking uh the car one. The car one was, <laughs> car, was great. The fucking crowd. the benediction was amazing. When that car jumps out of the fucking when that truck comes out of the goddamn ground, I was like, oh shit. This is okay. This is new. This is interesting. I like this. We didn't, <laughs> it's it, tremors, but with the dodge. You go back, go back to fucking the car with Josh Brolin. We didn't even get that. The car just drove out of a tunnel, and there it was. Like it came out of the shadows. This fucker came up out the earth. Oh, <laughs> now I'm coming to get you. It's like I fucking love that dude. Oh, I'm fucking amazing. Harvesting your crops was hard. That was a big ass. That was a, that was like uh, pro, the, what it says is a Chevrolet C20 fl uh, Fleetside big yeah, ass yeah. truck. I fucking loved it. <laughs> the Dodge, the Dodge, the, the Dodge the Tremor. Dodge I love Trimor. it. <laughs> I love it. Oh yes, but there there were so so many good ones and so and so many faces in this one. I would forgotten how many actors were in this because you've got veronica cartwright who is alien who we all remember from alien yep. and william Coming sanderson fresh off of alien right right yeah and then william sanderson no, who's this been around is for fucking forever 
Go ahead. No, no, no. Keep going. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Fresh oh, yeah. off the alien. And yeah. then fucking Emilio Estevez. So Emilio Estevez, who you will know from uh, from Young Guns, shit like that. Uh, fucking um, James Tolkien. James Tolkien was the voice of the bishop of the of the the I guess the animated the bishop. One, yeah. That dude's the fucking principal in the Back to the Future trilogy. Yeah. <laughs> so he's at Lance Henriksen. Fucking Lance Henriksen. Before this is pre Pumpkinhead, pre Aliens. You know, Lance Henriksen kicking ass pre Near Dark, and then you've got Tony Plana who's in there as well, and fucking Richard Master from The Thing. So, and, uh, and unfortunately, what I found was kind of sad. Um, Bridget Anderson. Bridget Anderson was the little girl who was in the, right. fa- who was the, the, the daughter of that family in the, in the final one. She unfortunately passed away from an opioid overdose uh, when she was 21. Her, her career kind of like went, but unfortunately, she kind of fell prey to, you know, what happened to child actors in the 80s. It was a shame, but she was very, very talented. So a whole host of talent in this fucking thing. Smart direction. I thoroughly enjoy. I love this one. Way more than I, than I, plus I remember, dude, Eugene, Alex, have you ever encountered where you, where you remember something you watched as a child or in your youth? You remember like a scene, you know, like I remember the scene for a movie. You can never remember what the movie is. Nosferatu for me. Yep. Yes. So that happened with me. This is one of those ones. It was the scene when Veronica Cartwright, when she's, when the mom is going up underneath the house and then she encounters the rat. There's like the eyes are glowing. She puts her hand on the dead cat and everything. I remembered that scene for forever. You know, like that, that scene was embedded in my fucking memory. And I could never remember what that movie was. And finally, here we are. We uh, Here it is. I was like, fucking hell. Yes. See, and that kind finally. of plays into something that I wanted to talk about was the difference between the way that movies were made for a younger audience back then and they are now. You have a lot of, and see, we love them, these horror anthologies, because we grew up mm-hmm. with them. It was, it was the way that they targeted younger audiences it was like hey come to the theater we've got a variety of shows it's not going to be one thing for two and a half hours you don't have to focus on it you know we're gonna we're gonna cut this up we're gonna tell a bunch of different stories they're gonna be fun they're gonna be short we're gonna hold your attention and then we're gonna move to the next thing before you lose it and you just don't see that anymore which kind of sucks because you know there are some good anthologies out there uh shit two what is it two sentence horror stories mm-hmm. oh yeah not too long ago i thought that was amazing give me give me the the premise give me a 15 minute or 20 minute you know short i love that that's my thing because that's what i grew up with it was like goosebumps that was another one you know there's a lot of different stories you can do a lot of different things in a short amount of time if you've got a good story behind it you just don't see that so much anymore the stuff yeah. that's kind of geared towards teenagers now is more trying to like connect with the teenagers or connect with the the younger audiences and it's like no i don't want you to try to be cool and hip i want you to to do something cool and hip you know what i mean i want you you just do it like these anthologies it's like okay you know we got four stories here was it four there was four in this one right yeah it's four four stories yeah four cool if you don't like one or you know if you don't like number one and number three two and four might have hit with you you know it's hitting a whole bunch of different audiences in a short amount of time while all being extremely entertaining in their own way. And so that's it. Stephen King still does it in his writing is another thing that I love about that. You can pick up a Stephen King book and read three different stories and, you know, it, it keeps you engaged. And they just don't do that a whole lot anymore. Not on the blockbuster side. You see it sometimes in some of the streaming services, but it, it's just, it, it was cool and it never happened, you know, after that. Well, because when, when you have horror shorts, 
there's not a lot of platforms out there that you can actually have people watch because you can't do short films in theaters because um people pay for movies people do not pay to see short films and sometimes you have a horror short that that's that's it it's a mm. self-contained story it's something that's like 20 minutes and you don't want to flush it out because when you start going to a feature lane then you have to have your b plots and your c plots and you have all this other threads and you have to all this other kind of stuff and sometimes it's like listen we're gonna have a babysitter in the house killers there and they're gonna duke it out and we're gonna see who comes on top, and that's all. That's all. I. That's 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 it. We don't need to know why the why is the babysitter there? Protect the kid. Done. Killer's there because he wants to kill people. That's it. That's and it. and so when you have like a good horror short, you can make something, and then you have nothing to show on because let's say you go to a film festival. Film festivals are awesome. Film festivals are great. Film festivals are for filmmakers. People regularly don't buy tickets to go to film festivals to watch movies. Right. They just yeah. don't. And the people, honestly, the people who buy tickets for film festivals are people who have films already in them. It's rare for somebody to just go, you know what? I, I'm going to see uh, Dallas International Film Festival is going on this Saturday. I'm just going to pop in and kind of see. That's extremely rare. So when Wait, you have these. People don't do that? You, see, people should, though. <laughs> <laughs> but when you have these anthology series, um, like the ABCs of Death and uh, VHS oh, yes. and some of these yeah. and Cat's Eye and some of these others, it's like you can actually put some of these shorts together and make it a feature film, and right. they don't have to relate to each other. You don't have to have characters come over. Plus, on top of that, it allows you to get top level talent super cheap because you don't have to pay for Lance Henderson through an entire film. You right. gotta pay him for like three days. Emilio Estevez, three days. And you know what? You slap their name on the cover, you put them on, you slap their face, name, boom. Here you go. It's perfect. And it's so it's so fucked up because like sweaty Emilio Estevez, like over a freaking like like arcade uh, arcade cabinet. Huh, huh, that was more entertaining in those moments than all, than all of his performance in fucking uh, in fucking Maximum Overdrive. <laughs> that movie was so fucking terrible. Even SMS, I was like, "Holy shit!" This kid took a, a like a ten, like like a fucking fifteen minute short, or maybe a twenty minute short, and he fucking killed it with this with this with this gamer character, and just goes to show his talent. I love the and plus. When it's when it's that you can, can you, there's no arcs that you have to build. There's no like length that you can literally just d dive into the character and you can get the full experience, which I really, really thoroughly love. There is so much love for this movie in the live chat. I have to say this, um, fucking uh, night. Oh yeah, oh yeah, Joshua Lee, Nightmare Sleeper. I see what they did there. <laughs> yeah, it was actually really, really good. Uh, Nemo eight thirteen says I saw this one in theater. Awesome, Man, fucking uh, that's fucking cool. Uh, Ronald Sam says saw this as a kid on VHS. Barely remember it. Definitely go back and watch it if you get the opportunity. It's for free on the internet, so you can go and see it. Um, <laughs> Angel Rivera says the devil car was Christine's fat cousin. This is true. It absolutely <laughs> was. Uh, Travis Brown says, so it's the truck from Duel that acts like Jaws, pretty much. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Uh, let me see here. Uh, so Sarcasm brings up, this is the film that bagged Emilio the Repo Man role. Very cool. And Emo 813 says, was the truck repossessed? Uh, <laughs> see what you did there. Oh, Casey, Casey Cooper says, I am the Bishop of Battle. Slacker. 
<laughs> I fucking, when I heard that voice, I was like, I just wanted to call him a slacker. That shit would have been fucking great oh, if it had actually gone there. Um, Aaron Reese brings up, this was the first horror movie I ever picked out for myself, actually. That is fucking cool. That That's awesome. Cool. That's awesome. Where one the thing hell I found, tonight, then? Damn. One thing I found super, uh, super intri- intriguing about this particular movie uh, when it comes to when it comes to like I would say young adult horror and how horror was was put forward for like for a more youthful audience is that horror in the especially horror anthologies that were geared towards that spent more the 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 focus on those was more on say like I said cautionary tales urban legends you know right place wrong time kind of things it, uh, that's where the horror was centered you know like like uh with big with big moral things where it's essentially looking at like the consequences of your actions, you know, like, like, for example, the, uh, the, uh, the, the one for the Toledo, I can't, I can't remember the name of it. Uh, fucking terror in Topanga, terror in Topanga, but the girl, the, the woman who's a chain smoker and she's like, I got to get my pack of cigarettes and winds up, you know, you know, you know, uh, toe to toe with the fucking serial killer. So I like how that was presented very similar to how horror stories have transpired through the ages. We're essentially just telling stories, that reflect reality in order to you know make kids aware of these things. But now, it's it, obviously it's changed. I think we could say that it's it's effectively changed. That nowadays, I you know, we see the horror films that come out, especially for those like if you take like Fear Street or if you take like the new Goosebumps movie, like the Goosebumps films, things are presented in a more philosophical way, and people are asking, or I would say, younger audiences are asking deeper questions about how they themselves would deal with these things moral quandaries that are far deeper than you would expect in the 80s or the 70s or anything beyond that and it's interesting how this change in young horror or like i would say young adult horror or how it's presented to uh, to people has changed over time and i've been sitting here trying to like mull over like why why is that like why is that ter- what has affected us as a society to result in how we tell the next generation horror stories. Why has it changed so dramatically to just simply like warnings about reality to now really thinking about yourself and really exploring the depths of your own character in response to these extreme scenarios, or even in response to what you may not know about your friends or your loved ones or your family, like going into these deep, deep, dark territories. It's gotten darker. It's gotten heavier. Oh, the simple fact is just the internet. And oh, okay. honestly, just just the internet because now we're so interconnected. You have things like identity crisis. You have exposure to so much information now. So it's an overload of information. And we didn't have this 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Uh, when we were growing up, because it was just you, it was you and your family, your world was your home life and you had your school. And that was it. Those were the only things that you were sitting there thinking about. And now you have people going on social media, people are reading articles, people are getting exposure to information. They can go to school and also another kid. Oh, I saw this video on the internet. I saw this video doing this and this and this and this. So it's, you're exposed to so much information now and it's so much harder to carve out an identity and there's so much more to think about at a younger age. 
That's in, that's intriguing. How much the internet has affected us as a society. In that that I I I figured that the exposure to more information was part of it. You know, just the fact that there are more ideas out there, more things are are you know available at a moment's notice. If you know information travels at the speed of light, so people are exposed to more interesting ideas and more in deeper concepts. And just in in odd sense, because it re- kind of reflects the almost the almost the innocence of a time when we grew up and the stories that we got, like the, like if you look at Cat's Eye, Tales from the Dark Side, even things like The Outer Limits and Twilight Zone, these questions were asked. You know, they, they posed these, and you could either watch it for just the horror effects, there's something on the wing, shit like that. You could watch it for that. Or you could watch it for the deeper questions because, you know, Twilight Zone was very good, Outer Limits very good at, at asking these questions. Friday the 13th, the series really good. But it's not like today. Because today, and I think I think Aaron put a finger on it right there, because Aaron Reese brings up, because we've realized that humans are far more terrifying than any monster that we could concoct. And I think I, I would agree with that. toe-to-toe with a zombie any day. Put me in front of a fucking person, and I don't know what to do. See, that, and that's interesting, because back in the early 2000s, back in like the 2005, what was it? No, no, when was it? 2000, yeah, 2005, when Supernatural, when the show Supernatural kicked off. There was an episode that came along because you take their monsters and ghosts and shit that they fight on on a weekly basis in their monster of the week setup. But there was one episode where the bad guys were humans. Just they're just people. Pe- people hunting people. And they're like, and we don't Dean, know what the fuck to do. And the character Dean says, he's like, you you put me up against anything. I, you know, I, and I and I'm not afraid of anything. Humans are the only things that scare me. You know, because there's no reason for them to be monstrous. They simply are. They choose to be that way. If monsters don't have a choice. Monsters act because that, that's what they are. Humans, you never know. That's why humans are the only thing that scares Dean, which I find compelling, interesting, in how that mentality has shifted our focus and how this next generation approaches this very concept. But that's also, I think, going to open interesting doors, say, in another 10, 15, 20 years, and how horror is presented, how this current generation right now is going to be the the leaders in the industry going forward, how they are going to present horror to us, you know, to the to that next generation. It's gonna be really fascinating. Like the idea that, you know, in 15 years, or what was it? It was like 10 years, or I think it was back in 2020. We were sitting there contemplating that, you know, in 20, 25 years, we will have somebody in Congress who grew up playing Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> and it's like interesting when you think oh, about you think about it in that respect, right? So I'm kind of curious about that. You know, just as far as where that can go. It's Ooh. intriguing. Okay. Because it, it's also, it's interesting. I love the quote of, we're talking about like parents raising kids. And it's, parents are taught to raise a kid in a world that no longer exists. Because we don't know the full extent of how the internet is going to affect the next generation. We don't because they're not at that age yet. We grew up at the tail end where we i remember the first time i got on the internet because i was in already in middle school i like i had sands down remember i'm pretty sure y'all do too but when you get to people who grew up on google google was always there google always existed and how does that affect somebody when they're 30 when they're 40 that i mean that's a question that no one has the answer to right now right Aaron race brings up Aaron race brings up Aaron Reese brings up, it's easy to know what to do with an evil human. It's spotting them that's the dangerous part. At least the pod people have some tells. 
<laughs> this is true. This is true. Man, but God, this was a good one. I thoroughly enjoyed all of these, all of these entries. All of them had something to bring. And plus, Veronica Cartwright, nobody does apocalyptic screaming and crying like Veronica Cartwright does. <laughs> that girl has got it down. Like, I mean, D. Wallace is fantastic. She is. D. Wallace is great. She does like, you know, like, you know, fucking Cujo style. But the world's coming to an end. No one does like Veronica Cartwright. The way she panics is just fucking chef's kiss. So I actually I want to ask the audience what do you feel is the best nightmares entry? So you have four different stories, right? You have Terror and Topanga, the Bishop of Battle, the Benediction, and Knight of the Rat. Which one do you feel like is the best entry in the nightmare and nightmares? Let us know in the comments below or shoot us an email at weekendhorror at gmail.com. Let's see. What was your favorite, Eugene? Which one did you like the most? I, mean, I gotta go Benediction. I mean, it's just something about a truck that's just... <laughs> <laughs> yes! Duel, Benediction. I, yeah, I mean, Duel was uh, one of my favorite movies growing up. So, um, any kind of... And I love Christine. So, it, it, just, it spoke to me. Awesome. What about you, Alex? Uh, I'd have to go with the Bishop of Battle. I, I, Bishop of Battle. They were all great. The Benediction was great because the truck and everything. I, it was the, it was the shut up mom aspect of the Bishop. <laughs> yeah, of Battle. A, God, he was such a fucking dick. <laughs> he was such a douche. And when he got his just desserts, so yeah, it was pretty good. You know, and and I almost would have said uh, Night of the Rat, but my favorite, my favorite was also Benediction. Night of the Rat was close. But the reason yeah. that that, t- that tip for me, the reason I did the right tip for me, was not because of the cheesy rat effects at the end, because it was obviously a superimposed rat, but I thought they did fairly well for 83. It was the fact that Richard Masser was such a fucking asshole. <laughs> such a- that dude was a dick. It was like, it's like just like, you know, undermining and undermining his wife at like every turn. Why can't you be like a normal woman? Why do you always have to stick your nose into shit? It was like, what the fuck, dude? Then you have to encounter a demon rat. Oh, I recognize the value of my wife now. Uh, I was like, fuck off. She, she, she ought to divorce your ass after the bullshit you put her through. All the fucking <laughs> gaslighting and shit. It was fucked up. Oh, man. But yeah, I thoroughly, I thoroughly enjoyed the benediction. I love Lance Henriksen. He's fucking legend. And the fact that he was will. I mean... Just the way he conveys his, just the way he does characterization, is why he's so is why he's legend. You know, I love everything, every nuance he brings. It's why he's so fucking fantastic and, and Pumpkinhead. Fuck man, what that man can just do with a look is just is so wildly intense. Fucking hell, <laughs> Michelle Michelle with one L. Yes, that is the main reason. Ass hat. <laughs> <laughs> fucking yes, absolutely, definitely. But definitely let us know what your favorite entry was. Down in the comments below or weekendhorror at gmail.com. All right. You know what time it is. I'm sorry, Raven Darkstar. You know what time it is. What time is it, gentlemen? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, she hates that so much. She really does. So, yes, it is trivia time. Trivia time, the one time everybody is waiting for. So this is your opportunity to win a special item from the Weekend Horror Store, a mystery item from the Weekend Horror Store over at Teespring. So the first person in the live chat to get the correct answer to this trivia question will get a special item, and I will print that out and ship it to you as soon as I can. And here we go. So get those Google fingers ready. 
you are so not so i'm not i'm sorry not sorry yeah i'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) sorry raven okay here's your question tonight before becoming a theatrical feature for universal nightmares was originally conceived to be a two-hour pilot for an anthology series to air on what network before becoming a theatrical feature for universal nightmares was originally conceived to be a two-hour pilot for an anthology series that would air on what network first person with the correct answer in the live chat wins a prize from the weekend horror store oh already already that was fast let me double check and make sure I got the all comments up. Uh, let me see here. Yep, all messages. Uh, looking for confirmation. So uh, I have here. Travis Brown as first. I also have Travis Brown as first. I have Travis Brown as first as well. So I got Travis Brown was first. Jefferson Spatchcock was right behind him. I think it was almost simultaneous. Holy shit, with NBS. And the answer was NBC. That show was originally, that, that anthology was originally supposed to be for NBC until the Universal decided to make it into a feature, which is wild because here, it's a good thing we checked the live chat because here on StreamYard, I've got uh, Jefferson Spatchcock first. But oh, yeah, tra- yeah. But Travis got in there real, Travis got in there quick. Uh, I love it. Ivy Gentry, CBS. No, UPN, really? <laughs> <laughs> UPN? Uh, but yes, definitely. It was NBC was that it was originally supposed to air on that before they decided to take it into a theatrical. So congratulations to Travis Brown and Trav. Ooh, Travis says, I want to give my prize to Raven due to hearing that horn every single time. That's very sweet of you, Travis. Very nice. All right, then. So I will write down Raven Darkstar. To receive the prize that you won. So very, very generous of you, Travis. I know you've won a whole bunch of stuff. But uh, congratulations again. And congratulations to Raven. Raven, be sure to get us your shipping details so we can get that printed out to you uh, ASAP. So look forward to hearing it. Either send it to me via Discord or via, oh, pardon me, via weekendhorror at gmail.com. All right, everybody. And that, you twisted fucking horror fiends, will close out another week's episode of the Weekend Horror Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We truly hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, smash those like and subscribe buttons and be sure to hit that bell so you never miss a future episode. Join us next week when we look back at the gory and audacious Fava Argento sequel, Demons 2, the terrifying ambiguity, the terrifying Here Comes the Devil, the icon held in apology trap ashes, and the brutal and beautiful surrealistic insanity of the Nick Cage epic, Mandy. Finally, we finally get to talk about Mandy. Four fucking seasons, and we finally get to talk about Mandy. Be sure to check out Josh Olson's store at Bad Samurai Store. He does all the awesome artwork you see splattered all over our merch, which you can find over at Teespring. For more from Weekend Horror, check out all the bloody links in the description. Follow us on socials for your daily splatter, your daily horror recommendation. Join our Discord for watch parties, big announcements, and all kinds of horror shenanigans. And support the show through channel memberships super chats paypal and through our patreon join the higher tiers for early content access and behind the scenes fun with the crew or even just support the show for as little as just one dollar a month what are you waiting for join us as always thank you all for being the greatest audience a podcast could ever have i'm alex and i'm eugene and i'm jl and we'll see y'all next week and as always stay scared
ambiguity.